You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Okay, welcome to the GGTMC. Stumbling through the morning here. Uh, that's us today, uh, recording on a an odd morning, a weekday morning, and uh, basically making a mess of it. You won't be able to tell listening to this, but uh, it's it's like I can't uh, it's like I can't find my nose despite my face, man. <laughs> Jeez, what a mess. Anyway, we are back. Welcome, everyone, to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. This week we are sponsored by Arrow Video, and uh, we are covering three films from them. I should say I'm the samurai across the board from my good pal, Big Willie. There we go. Let's get those pleasantries out of the way. Um, this week we're covering, uh, let's see if I can find the uh, dates for everything here. We got uh, Spider Baby. Which I don't even remember what year it's from right now. 1967, according to IMDb, but I think it was shot in 62, 63, 64. Yeah, I got Spider <clears throat> Baby. I'm just, I just keep stumbling because, uh, like I said, you know, of course, I, I finally get uh, the computer up and running. Now I can't uh, get the analog materials. That's in my okay. Hands. It was uh, 67. Yep, 67. Okay. As best we can tell here. <laughs> Yeah. Right now, without the use of technology or analog materials, <laughs> uh, Spider Baby '67, Contamination '1980. We should say uh, Spider Baby, directed by Wal- uh, Walter Hill, Jack Hill. Uh, <laughs> Contamination, directed by Luigi Cozzi uh, from '1980, and of course, Cemetery Without Crosses, also known as A Rope and a Cult, uh, 1969, directed by Robert Hussein. Hussein. Jesus. Okay, man. Now I can actually talk like a normal person. I think. I hope. Oh, all right. So yes, that's what we're covering. Three film show. Getting caught up with our obligations. Uh, what have you been watching lately, Large William? Oh, we, we, no, let, no. Let, let, let's before we do that, let's let's just go ahead and get this out of the way because we we promised we would and we should anyway. Uh, for those who don't know, the uh, the DVD that we have been working on, the final score DVD with OMG Entertainment. Uh, is available for pre-order, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. 
We've seen the physical. We haven't seen it in our hands, but we've seen the physical copies uh, in another time zone. But uh, they are available for uh, pre-order. I'm guessing through OMG Entertainment mostly now. Uh, we're supposed to. Uh, I'm supposed to get back with uh, Jesse over at Diabolic DVD soon. So we are. So I'm sure they'll be uh, store uh, stocking it over there soon as well. So look if, forward to yeah, that. Yeah, and if you, I'm sorry, I can't get off here. That's all right. Bowling <laughs> a podcasting yeah. China shop. Yeah. Uh, if you go to OMG Entertainment dot N L is another lands, you can see the releases up there um, for pre order. So. You know, it'd be great for people to be able to get out there and uh, and support what we've done. I mean, if you you know love what we do, we've had uh, a lot of great people help us, guide us, uh, work alongside us. I didn't mean intend for that to rhyme. It came out pretty smooth, though. Yeah. Um, the first thing this came out smooth this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not. It's not if you come out smooth. It's if you go in smooth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't want a rough, a rough entry. Mm. Um, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, if you can head over there, uh, you can pre-order and, um, it'd be great. Like I said, we would love, love, love to be able to make this thing a success. Now that we've crossed the finish line, as far as the lifting that's gone into it, a lot of people have put a lot of work into this. So again, omg-entertainment.nl. Yes. Hope you, and if you enjoy the podcast, trust me, you'll enjoy the, uh, we think you'll enjoy the DVD quite a bit. The commentary track. Is essentially another co- a version of the uh, podcast, and not to toot our own horn, but we think we, we we had a lot of fun doing the commentary, so we think you'll have a lot of fun, and it'd be great to have final score in your collection, obviously. Oh yeah, it, it looks beautiful. All right, now let's get into what we've been watching. All right, <laughs> so I haven't watched much. Um, same old story, <laughs> yeah. but uh, here's what I did watch: went to the drive-in with the family. Yeah, and watched a couple of films. Uh, one of which I was kind of keen to see. One of which I was indifferent on seeing. But we wanted the boys choose um, because we have two drive-ins near us. One's an hour away, which is one we tend to go to because they have two screens. So there's a little more flexibility than one. Even though it's a lot closer, they have one screen. They just don't seem to program quite as well. So hmm. we uh, take the hike for an hour, and you know it's all good though. I mean, what are you gonna do? At least we have a drive-in within driving distance. So we went to see The Man from U.N.C.L.E., which uh, I'd seen the trailer for. I thought it looked pretty good. You know, you and I both got Richie fans and think uh, you could do a lot worse when it comes to slick-looking, well-made uh, fare. Gileche? Uh, Gileche? <laughs> yes, Gileche. Um, and, uh, man, I got to say, I was disappointed with this. I, I didn't find it engaging. I mean, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Early 60s Italy and Europe just looks beautiful. Richie knows how to make a film. I think the problem with this one for me was the casting of two guys that just have no charisma. Mm. I don't find a Henry Cavill or Cavill to have any charisma, which is probably fitting since he played Superman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, He's actually uh, pretty charismatic as Superman, actually. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm speaking out of turn, not having seen it. That's what I get. <laughs> Um, and then Army Hammer, who I always want to say Armand Hammer, yeah. um, or Army Hammer, maybe it is. But anyway, I quite liked him in uh, The Social Network. So, you know, I was, was kind of looking to see what he'd do. But I think he might be sunk as far as being a 
able to open a movie because he did Lone Ranger and you know he's okay but he's, the not, had the, he's between, not had the greatest luck yet has he he hasn't had the greatest luck and I think he's better suited for, for he's one of those guys leading man looks um, yeah. supporting man skills yeah. and you know there's nothing wrong with that but he's, he's got to be smart about what he picks because pretty soon if he doesn't he's going to be box office poison his name will be mud and he won't get cast in anything so the difference between okay, when we if you go back when I saw Sucker Punch years ago now, I said you know I like the film more than some. It is a mess. It's um, could be perceived, I guess, as uh, I don't know if misogynistic is the right word, but you know it, it was a bit kind of uh, masculine for its own good in its handling of these characters. Yeah. I had said there was a man in this film named Oscar Isaac who really stole the show for me, and I really liked these one to watch. Now, the difference between an Oscar Isaac and an Army Hammer is just that. He can rise above the material, or enhance the material. And Hammer is just not quite there, you know. What are you going to do? Um, so yeah, Man From Uncle was a disappointment. I, I thought the trailer was good, but, you know, a lot of people in the community have liked it, I should say. I'm in the minority, definitely, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, you never know. I mean, you know, I'm in the minority on Kingsman, so there you go. Well, the Kingsman, I... I I think I liked it once. I'll never watch it again. Yeah, you know. That's I think the more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I didn't really. I didn't really love it. I liked it, but I'll never watch yeah. it again either. You know. Same. Yeah. Uh, and then the other film, which I wouldn't have thought that this one would have came out better for me at the than Man from Uncle was the the much maligned, much talked about Fantastic Four. Mm, yes. Uh yeah, it's got problems. You know, a lot of problems, but. <clears throat> And it does feel cheap, and it's bizarre that there's no Stan Lee cameo. There's nothing after the final credits. Um, it's like, why bother? If you're going to scrimp on budget and you're going to half-ass it, why bother? Yeah. Why bother? Like, seriously. You, you, as much as comic book films are a bit of a license to print money, you can't just slap it together in this day and age when people are really bringing their A-game and when B-characters like Ant-Man bring the A-game. Yeah. Um, that thing, that thing. I, of course, I haven't seen frame one of it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've seen the trailer, but um, it it feels like a mess from the get go. Um, uh, but even the trailer does. It, it, it doesn't. It's not so much the filmmaking because obviously I haven't seen the movie, so I can't comment on that. But it just feels like nobody knew what to do. And you know, as the minute it comes out, Josh Trank disowns it, uh, which is such a bad, <laughs> like a bad sign when the director, like the second it's out, is like separating himself completely from the film. And he may have sabotaged himself quite a bit there because... You see, you know, he should have kept his mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> He's really fucked himself by doing that. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's weird because he made one film before, yeah. uh, Chronicle, or at least that's the one I know of, and that that's did well. That's the one I know of as well. And then, you know, and then he's kind of sabotaged himself, and I, it must have been a really bad experience. And, of course, 20th Century Fox didn't know how to handle it. They, they'd sabotaged it back, and... It is a total mess, but then you get somebody like Colin Trevorrow who made Safety Not Guaranteed, and even though he had a kind of an un- unpleasant experience making Jurassic World, he's never really he didn't mention it until after it made eight hundred million dollars. <laughs> well, that's the smart thing to do, right? Yeah. You know, that's that's the difference between Trevorrow. Didn't we talk about him lining up one of the Star Wars films now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, that's the difference between that and then Josh Trank, who's not going to be given anything huge, and maybe he just doesn't want anything huge, but. You know, even some mid-level projects are going to be harder for him to get based on this. But <clears throat> the crying shame in all of this is that Fantastic Four is not, for my money, it's not terrible. Yeah. There's some decent things about it. 
Um, it's got. Mm, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's it's got an excellent, not even good, an excellent young cast in it. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan, one of my favorites. Kate Mara, one of my favorites. Miles Teller, great young actor. Jamie Bell, fantastic young actor. Toby Kebbell as Doctor Doom. Nice. And he he may be a little kind of young punk. All these guys may be too young, I think, for the film, which is he, maybe he's a he's a real he's a real rock and roller. That guy. He is a rock and roller. <laughs> um, but he's good as Doom, I think. A lot of people didn't like the Doom design. I like the Doom design. I think, yeah, I think that uh, you know some people fail to realize that what you see in comic doesn't always translate well onto screen. Which is why I had I had zero problem with um, what Snyder did with the ending of Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was okay. I mean, it was like six and a quarter territory for me. I mean, there's some decent stuff. It's a bit concerning that they didn't put. Uh, Mr. Grimm in any pants. He's a naked rock man. Um, oh, that is interesting. Yeah. So, and Bell, just as great as Bell is, he doesn't feel like they're just too young, I think, is the main problem. But, I mean, if you're going to really try to set it up where this is the first of four or five films, or, you know, that's probably a bit optimistic, three films, maybe then, but you got to handle this thing like a baby then and yeah. really give it a lot of love and care, man, to just. It does seem Slap like a. It does seem like in hindsight to me. I mean, I, I didn't like the idea of the young Fantastic Four to begin with. No, because they've always been. They're Marvels for me. They're Marvels Superman. Uh, in that, that's a fair statement. In that you know they're the safest uh, of their yeah of their characters in some ways, and mm-hmm. I understand what and they're Captain going America. for. Yeah, I understand what they're going for. But yeah, well, but Captain America, the Marvel's Marvel itself has approached that differently, and they've they've done a good job. They've made him yeah. not as uh, rah rah as he once was, and and of course in the comics he isn't as rah rah as he once was either. But with Fantastic Four, they were kind of rah rah as well, and I don't know, I don't know. I should say Miles Teller, he's also one that uh, didn't do the film any favors with some of the interviews because he he doesn't like acting, so he he always mentions that. <laughs> Brother, don't cash <laughs> yeah. the paycheck yeah. if you're going to beef because you were going to sh- you were going to push yourself yeah. right out of the career when you when you're young and you're too cool for school yeah and you don't realize that you've got a golden opportunity here to sock away fifteen or twenty million yeah. and be set for life. Keep your mouth shut, <laughs> make a handful of films, and be done with it. Exactly. Don't turn into Shia LaBeouf, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and I say that as someone who defended LaBeouf for a long time. Yeah, no, and, and I, no. I still, you know, and still when he's in a movie, I don't, you know, shun it just because no, he's in it. No, I don't shun it. No, but, he was good in Fury, and he's he's still a very talented actor. But I feel like Teller could be going down that road. Yeah, he's gonna watch it. He's gonna shit the bed if he's not. What a careful. shame, though, man. I mean, that's a really good young cast. Yeah, it is. I mean, if if I was gonna do like a top fifty actors under thirty. Maybe all five of those people would be in it, and they're in one film. Easily, yeah, I think they all. I Fuck, think they all man, were, they're all good. They're all good. Everything I've seen those actors in, they've been good in. Yeah, know. and you know another tragedy too is let's just you know not to to bring up race too much, but Michael B. Jordan, great young African American actor. This was a great chance um, for him to get more recognition. For African Americans to prove they could be in something, not for them to prove, but for studios to put them in something, set them up to win, uh, is is sort of a lead role versus kind of being. And Anthony Mackie does the best he can. He, the the Falcon stuff's good if they don't give him enough stuff, obviously. But he's another character you, you can't really 
build a, a franchise around. Just he's not big enough. But it's just a shame, you know, because he's a young young actor. I wanted to see more uh, more my you know visible minorities or characters of color getting more prominence in big films. You know, more representation, as you and I have talked about. Right. Uh, right. You know, so it just it's it's unfortunate all the way around. But I don't think the film was as bad as like eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Come on. I mean, Pixels probably has at least triple that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know how it is, man. The, the modern age, like social the media. Mob, eh? Yeah, man. They, they, to, they want to tear it down. They just want to make this is the worst review of this film ever. Yeah. It's gotten into this like this whip your cock out and swing it around and let's make the let's make something scathing. It's an Olympic sport. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, there's uh, there's blood in the water nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, man. I tell you, it's like it's like. Uh, it's like, uh, well, not to use. No, I don't want to use that euphemism. Like that. <laughs> I was going to use one that uh, it was tasteless in a lot of ways. It involved Vic Morrow, but it was from The Last Shark, not from you know uh, another situation that involved. Oh, that would yeah, have been yeah. just tasteless. I didn't want to use that. So, yeah, I hear you. Either way, let's put it that. Way. It's like Robert Shaw in the water. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's exactly. just a mess. Exactly. But you know. I didn't mind the other the other Fantastic Four films were messes as well. They were okay. Though. They, it's, yeah, it's, they were okay. I, I, so I'll still check this one out at some point. Yeah, it's not terrible. I mean, it is a little bit gloom and doom, which is contrary to the even the poster. Like, it's so sapped of color. You know, you need someone. Yeah. Like, um, it's like Zack Snyder dropped into the Marvel universe for a second there, didn't he? Or, or, or <laughs> uh, Nolan decided to just half-ass it and uh, yeah. you know shoot the film in a weekend. <laughs> You know, I think they really needed to take this material and approach it like they approached Ant-Man. Like they needed to get someone like Cornish or Wright or someone um, or even uh, even Whedon, even though Whedon annoys me. Um, They just need someone whose cue can make it bright and kind of colorful and fun, which is really what um, and quaint a little bit. But kind of knowingly, winkingly quaint without being obnoxious about it. That's what you got to do with Fantastic Four. Like, look at the poster. It's like. The light's trying to peek through behind uh, things back, but they're all like dark. They don't even wear the iconic uniforms, yeah. like at all. I know. I it's know. like I understand again, real world application versus comic book. It, it doesn't look great, but find a way. I mean, they you know, you know, they made most superheroes' iconic outfits work. Yeah, they make them in work some somehow. regard. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That was probably for the quote unquote sequel that never happened. So that yeah. might not ever happen. I don't know. No, it won't happen. Yeah, probably won't happen. Yeah, that's reboot. It. This is the third time, man. This film, this and the Hulk are just snake bit. Two of the big icons of like on the Mount Rushmore of Marvel, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm lumping the four as one, but anyway. Well, that's, I think uh, the only one that's untouchable when it comes to that uh, multiple reboot thing seems to be Spider-Man because you know Sony's going to reboot that again. And so of you course. know, and that seems to be untouchable. But yeah, the other ones they just keep uh, they you know they're trying to hang on to those properties. And X Men, X Fox has held on to X Men. They've done a good job with X Men. Yeah, they've done a good job. I mean, I, I didn't quite go bananas. And I still haven't finished it. Days of Future Past. I didn't go bananas for what I saw, but they do put more care into those films. They have good filmmakers making them, and you know they they're they're fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So um, beyond that, uh, the two drive-in films. Um, you watched? watched uh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw this other film you watched that I've not seen. 
Yeah, I watched two more. I finally opened my Blu-ray of uh, Bill Lustig's Vigilante. Oh, yeah, that's right. You watched Vigilante finally. Yeah. Man, and I kept holding off because I was like, we're going to do it on the show one day. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, it's been, it's been on the list forever. <laughs> yeah, and then finally I was like, you know what? Forget this. I'm putting this <laughs> yeah. Blu-ray on. <laughs> yeah, man, fuck that. You, you, can't, you can't hold out for me and you. We cannot hold out for each other. <laughs> and we've done that so many times. And so I, you many know, I'll times. keep doing that. But this was one where I figured I feel pretty safe that I'm going to like this. So if we if and when we do get around to it, I'll be okay with a rewatch. Yeah. You know, but it's it's a good film, man. Lustig is one of my favorite. Uh, yeah, I like that one quite a bit. Genre filmmakers. I feel like he shoots his films like an Italian. Like I feel like he was really influenced by the the '70s and early '80s Italian stuff, like Castellari, and yeah, really feel that. But this one's good, man. And it, it was cool to see Brooklyn um, thirty years before we were there, and a lot wilder. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Lee Forrester can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know. Like, th- there's some there's some bizarre kind of Italian close-ups or shots that linger too long, um, like with Fred the Hammer. But I like Fred the Hammer with a beard, and he's kind of playing it more um, serious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's good. I mean, it, it's quite good. I, I liked it. Uh, of course, I knew I would, but the Blu-ray looks tremendous. Kudos to... I always enjoy Fred more when Fred doesn't direct himself. Agreed, because then it becomes a little bit. He's got to get the cool man shot every time, right? Yeah, kind of. You know, I mean, I love Fred. I, mean, I know we both do, but it's uh, when he, yeah, when he, uh, when he directs himself, it can be, you know, let's. We'll, we'll, I'll just save my comments for the next time we uh, cover a film directed by Fred, because which we will, <laughs> we will, because yeah, he's covered, <laughs> he's directed quite a few. Yeah, this movie Vegas Vampires too. Oh, no. and then the last one I watched was one. I uh, I'd forgotten that I'd had, and it was too. I was just kind of scrolling around, and I was like, well, "What am I gonna watch tonight?" Uh, you know, and uh, I saw the cast and the director and everything, and I thought, "Well, man, I got to put this on." So this one's 1982's "Love and Money," directed by James Toback. Yeah, and uh, this one has a fascinating cast. I didn't, I didn't even know James Toback directed this. I neither did I, and that's when I I saw. The cast and the director. I'm like, okay, I'm stopping here. I'm watching this. It's uh, Ray Sharkey, Renella Muti, Klaus Kinski, yeah. Armand Asante as a South American dictator, King Vidor as Ray Sharkey's grandfather, nice. Tony Sirico. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's an interesting. I'll tell you what, this film to me feels like everyone that made it was really into the coke. It's really unfocused. It's got some interesting things. Um, you know, I always get, I always get, uh, I always get bothered watching Sharky on screen because I like him on screen, but I feel like knowing about his path, like his, yeah, it's it's really reprehensible stuff. Yeah, um, crash and burn type. Uh, oh man, big time. Yeah, but and then I stop and think. I think, man, I can imagine this shoot. You got Sharky who had to be a mess. You got Kinski, you got Armand Asante, all on one set with Tobak, <laughs> and I feel like Tobak had to be into the the flake a little bit on the set of this. It feels that way. I mean, you know, it's eighty two. I, I don't know if Tobak has had any uh, uh, vices in terms of uh, drugs, but um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah, drugs, alcohol, women, oh, gambling. He was, yeah, he was a gambling addict, but. Yeah, he uh, yeah he went for it. He went for it in his brief time. 
A real no, lady. Well, you look at him and you don't think this, but uh, yeah, real ladies' man of the seventies and eighties. Yeah, and one heck of an interesting director. He does revisit a lot of themes, um, over and over again. But you know, those themes are what he feels like he wants. To, and this is this was a second film too, so. Well, you know, that must be why a, I haven't seen it. I mean, I guess I went from was Fingers first, and then yeah, Fingers is really good. Yeah, and I think and then I, Exposed, the pickup artist. Yeah, I guess I I didn't. I don't think I've seen Exposed or Love and Money. Oh, I haven't seen Exposed either, man. And Exposed has a really interesting cast as well. It's man, look at this cast. It's got Natasha Kinski, Gemin right there, yeah. Rudolph Nureyev, Harvey Keitel, Ian McShane, BB Anderson, James Russo. Yeah, nice. I see that. You should check that out sometime. Yeah, we should because I've never seen it. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Check know, it out. But, uh, anyway, so you know, this was um, good, but I wonder what could have been if uh, everyone had been focused because that's a really interesting cast. And uh, I mean, he really Tobac really showed up strong with fingers, and he did. You know, he did Love and Money and Exposed, which I haven't seen. I've seen the pickup artist. Yes. And I never seen the Big Bang. It's a documentary. But after that, he kind of you know he it was the mid '90s before he started making movies again. Yeah, and then black and white got caught some, you know, became a bit, you know, got a lot of buzz around it. And yeah, so there's some weird one that, that that Harvard man. I don't even remember that being released. That's weird. So I don't Sarah think Michelle Gohr and uh, Andrew Adrian Grenier. I mean, it, it's a Ooh, I, don't, I don't know. And Joy Lauren Adams, man, that's like yeah, that's like uh, early two thousands direct to video hell for those people. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. uh, he, he, he tends to do like a lot of the same themes. He revisits them, but I think yeah. they're interesting themes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the week. All right. Well, it's a week. Yeah, that's right. I only watched a few things myself. I watched. Uh, I finally checked out. It follows. Yes. Got around to watching that. Quite enjoyed it. I really did. I mean, uh, I don't know if it'll make uh, a top thirty for me next year or not, but it was really good. And in, in a sea of subpar horror films. Uh, it is a very strong uh, debut. Uh, not maybe not a debut for uh, Mitchell because I know he made the uh, well, the other film he made. Um, I can't remember what it was. So Secrets of an American Sleepover or something like that. Yeah, uh, but, but this is a very confident and uh, well paced and well planned uh, horror film, and I, I quite dug it. I usually don't like the kind of supernatural elements in the horror films, but the way he handles this is pretty good. I also thought the score, even though it is a little. You know of the uh, the synth kind of, porn, yeah, the synth porn type thing. But it, I think it works because it's a little, it's it's different. It's not as yes, it's kind of slavish. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's kind of well, it's unique. It's much much more unique than some of the other ones. You're right. It's not as obvious on the nose as. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really glad you dug it, man, because I really loved. It follows. I think it looks great. It sounds great. I yeah. think the leads are all really likable. Well, it's very it's very confident, like in what it is. Like it doesn't. You know, shots last a long time. It, it it's it knows what it wants to do. It's not uh, the acting's off. Uh, good, to very good. I mean, I don't know if I'd say anything's great, but nobody's uh, terribly obnoxious in the film. No, definitely which I was not. worried. I was worried about the neighbor across the street. He had potential to be obnoxious, but he turned out he was to be actually pretty likable. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, you know, I, I liked it. it. Had nice touches. It really did. And so. It is good. It's definitely a buy for me. I was kind of holding off on buying oh, yeah. it. It's been cheap, for, you know, since it came out. But I've been holding off because I was like, I don't know if I like it or not, you know. And I watched it and I liked it, and now I shall buy it. I'll, I'm going to buy it too. And I mean, I'll tell you, I love the girl that farts that always eats with the clamshell phone. Yeah, I love all three girls. All three of them are yeah. 
I don't really, you know, what's the, the lead? She's not really my type, but uh, she's cute, man. Yeah, she's cute. And she's the lead from the guest. Yeah, yeah, I liked her in this more than I did the guest. But I think she's a good young. She's kind of got like a Jamie um, Lee Curtis kind of. Uh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis mixed with uh, Gwen Stefani, maybe. Oh, totally, <laughs> Gwen Stefani looks, but in terms of, I think what she brings to screen, I feel like she's sort of like a. She has a little bit of vulnerability, and but she feels real, like a yeah, like yeah. a Laurie Strode or you know what Jamie Lee Curtis would bring to the screen, the, the screen yeah. as a scream queen. Yes, there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm glad you dug this one. That's good, and I, I think that he shoots Detroit really well too. Yes, yes, it's all shot really well. I mean, it's very John Carpenter ish. Totally, man. It's very John Carpenter ish. Uh, matter of fact, it's one of those films that if he said he never saw a John Carpenter film, I would call him to the carpet and say, "Look, dude." <laughs> Don't lie. You're about to get some rug burn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because uh, that would be a total lie. <laughs> yes. Because it's get very Carpenter-esque in some ways. And, and it's nice. It's a, it's a nice, it's it's riffing on Carpenter without, uh, you know, a uh, complete ripoff, right? It's kind of like uh, De Palma riffing on Hitchcock without, well, yes. I mean, arguably you could say De Palma does rip uh, Hitchcock off completely sometimes. But either way, it's fine. Uh, nice homage. Um, switch gears and watch Dark Star, HR Geeker's World. Yes. Uh, this is pretty good, man. It kind of goes into Geeker's life a little bit. Some things I didn't know. Uh, this was filmed uh, during probably the last year of his life, so his health is is pretty deteriorated at this point. He's having a hard time getting around and stuff. But it's, I think the fascinating thing of stuff about this film is a look into. It says HR Geeker's World, so you think, okay, it's going to be all about you know his art. And it is in a way, but what's fascinating is, is Giger was like, you know, like world-class hoarder. And Seriously. Yeah, like he kept everything. And uh, his house is like a fucking maze. <laughs> and they, they, the, the people in there are like, you know, you could be walking through this house and you don't know where he's at. And he, he could be off in a corner somewhere doing something, but because there's stuff everywhere, you know, you can disappear in this house so easily. Oh, uh, so, you know, I mean, if, if, if you have a fear of hoarding, uh, and claustrophobia, you might feel a little claustrophobic watching this, but but uh, it is fascinating and the way he talks. One of the other things that's interesting about him is that he uh, no cat. <laughs> this cat's getting ready to jump on my computer. Uh, uh, have I mentioned that I don't like cats? For those of our listeners who <laughs> love cats, uh, great. Yeah, but me, not not a fan. Still, we cat you love is young, cool. Yeah, I've had yes, I've had this cat for a while now, and still not a fan, guys. I've not changed uh, my tune. Um, the uh, I think my wife thought I was going to change my tune. It's not. It's not changing. This tune. This tune's tight. It's staying where it's at. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I violated. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what I was talking about now. So whatever. Eager and uh, his last days. Yeah, yeah. But it, you check it out. I think he died shortly after they finished filming this. Uh, you know, want to fall, but you can tell he's pretty feeble. Uh, he can still, you know, work a little bit and stuff. But I think he had a, I can't remember if he had a stroke or something, uh, you know, not too long before he died or something. But he had some type of physical ailment that totally changed his kind of demeanor, like a major health scare of some sort. And uh, it is interesting, though, that, you know, as as dark as his work is and everything else, that, you know, he's he's very much uh, family oriented. And like every woman that he had an affair with, it's like he stayed friends with and either worked with him. Uh, until his, you know, death. Most of them, you know, they were boyfriend and girlfriend or, uh, you know, mistress or whatever. But uh, they all kept, they all stuck around him. Like, they all loved him. So he didn't have a family? Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think he had any children or anything. I don't think, no. Yeah. But I'm not positive on that. But they don't really address it in the thing anyway. And I've never seen anything, which is why I ask. I just can't picture him as, you know, 
Like mm. uh, soccer dad, I feel like he was a bit more of a solitary man than that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, the only other thing I watched was Cop Car. Cop Car. Nice. Yeah, I wanted to. I remember. I think Higgins talking about this after um, Sundance. Yeah, Sundance, and then uh, I was kind of amped for it, and here we are. What's, yeah. uh, what are your thoughts? It's re- it's real good. Higgins uh, kind of nailed it when he said it was kind of like No Country for uh, Young Boys. Maybe you know, yeah, it's uh, it is a lot like that. Um, I was a little worried at first that the Kevin Bacon performance was going to be slightly comedic because he has this odd way of running. Um, but I think that this might be Kevin Bacon getting older. And, you know, I mean, he's a guy in his, what, early 50s, mid-50s now? Maybe up to be 50s. mid-50s, yeah. yeah. Um, still in great shape. But, uh, I mean, he, he, there is some bizarre uh, running. But that might just be, you know, the way he runs. You know, he might be like a Nicolas Cage type runner, you know I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nick Cage can't run on camera. If you ever seen him run on camera, it's it's hideous. And it just, <laughs> it's, as, it's as bad, if not worse, than uh, Steven Seagal. I mean, I'm, I'm not joking. I mean, it's there's a reason Nick Cage doesn't run a lot. And anyway, but it's a really good film. It's a, it's a very simple story. It is exactly kind of what you think it's going to be. Um, and uh, But it's very well directed, very well, very well told story. Um, really good performances from everybody involved. The kids are great. They're very much that, you know, those kids right before they reach teenage years where, you know, cussing's cool and, you know, being trying to be tough right before, you know, you know, you know right before you start hitting those teenage years and, um, two boys that are you know a bit troubled to say the least but uh the kids they nail it i think and bacon nails his performance and um shea wiggum is great in the film as well uh good old shea nice. wiggum the uh he's a good actor yeah the character actor who uh he's always you know always good to see him in a movie because like you know when he shows up he always kind of like you said he, he uh, with uh army hammer i mean maybe that might be the way he needs to go because when shea wiggum shows up he's a good character actor he always kind of brings the that kind of uh Shea Wiggumness to his roles. <laughs> and he has a likable eccentricity. Yeah, he does. He does. He really does. But it's it's really good. I mean, I liked it quite a bit. I don't know, you know, where it stands in the year so far. But as far as a small independent film, it um, it's it's very well done. I mean, it's very well done. Um, and you know, it's it's beautifully shot. It's I don't know where they shot it. It looks like they shot it in the uh, out in the west somewhere, uh, wide open plains. You know, maybe I think it's supposed to be set in. Well, I don't know if it, they ever say what it's set, where it's set, but it looks like, you know, kind of the Great Plains type, uh, you know, Nebraska, Montana, you know, that kind of look. Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of wide open and stuff, so it's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, definitely check it out. I think you'll I think you'll like it. I'll watch it with the missus, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. Very good. All right. That's all we watched. Let's... Uh, we got to crank it out this week because yeah, we're, really we're on a uh, schedule here due to uh, being a weekday, being a school day for me uh, on this side. So be done here in about an hour and a half. I think it's plenty of time. All right, we're going to oh, take yeah. a short break. You just want to do uh, chronological? That Let's do, do chronological. All right, so we'll come back and do Jack Hill's Spider Baby. I'm sure people wondered why we haven't covered this after 350 episodes. <laughs> I kind of wondered that myself, oddly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll be back right after this. This is Red Brown. You're listening to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bring me to Dakota! Hold on a minute, it ain't time to leave. 
Tell me how you feeling one more time For long years and I just can't believe That I'm still yours and you're still mine While I was gone, yes I fell in love As a rat and her that you did too Drunken years at hand, push came to shove. I met a love, love left me blue. song kind of i didn't realize this song kind of fits uh spider baby maybe a little bit i don't know it's kind of weird yeah yeah <laughs> uh, down home kind of strangeness to the song actually um uh, anyway uh okay so spider baby so uh okay this is directed by jack hill let me uh get the pleasantries out of the way on this uh rather infamous films uh, spider baby or the maddest story ever told shot earlier than it was released we'll get into that let me go over the uh, kind of specs here for the Arrow Blu-ray release, which is a really nice release. We should say that, um, regardless of uh, our review. Yet, uh, let me just say, man, this this thing's packed, and uh, oh, it is. The film looks great. It does. Yeah, doesn't it, man? Man, it was crisp. It really crisp. This is one of those weird uh, kind of genre films that's always kind of been uh, like well preserved and well taken care of. I, I don't know how it, it it escaped through all that, but it it always has. It seemed. <laughs> It's been, you know, even when it was released on DVD one time, it would always look great, but it, this 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 is the best I've ever seen it look. Uh, so, bravo to Arrow. Um, this is not a limited release. I don't see any limited release on here, but you do get a commentary from Jack Hill and uh, Sid Haig, which may be a carryover, I'm not positive, from uh, a DVD, but it may be all new. You get some um, some uh, talk about the music. Uh, you get a revisiting, which is always one of our favorite features when uh, directors go back and revisit sets. Uh, is always nice. One of the great things about this one is is where they they go back to the house. And when you see the movie, you think the house is off in the country because of the way they shoot it and stuff. But then, of course, when you see it in L.A., it's like right in the middle (laughs) of like the city. It's very bizarre. Oh, I know. Uh, uh, But they they do a real good job. And uh, Jack Hill, the ageless wonder, we should say. That guy, man, he's he's, uh, held on to his youth. He totally has. And he totally rocks a turtleneck, maybe better than just about any director yeah, he's he's the master turtleneck rocker, man. He, I can't think. I mean, I know we know Bogdanovich rocks the ascot, but Jack Hill rocks the turtleneck like it's nobody's business, man. It's a good comparison, I would say, right on. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a short film on here I didn't get a chance to watch. The Host from 1960, which is a really early film with Sid Haig in his kind of first starring role. I didn't I didn't get a chance to check that out. I don't know if you did as yeah, well. Yeah, neither did I, unfortunately. And uh, there's a little bit of a uh, uh, like a. The, kind of the history of uh, Spider Baby a little bit. Joe Dante's in there, and uh, quite a few fans of uh, of Spider Baby are in there and stuff. And of course, 
we should say spider baby very much influenced uh quite a few filmmakers uh maybe none more so i think than uh, rob zombie but uh oh yeah very much so um but certainly you can see his the influence of spider baby on even things slightly you could uh, well you could argue texas chainsaw massacre and a few other things too. big so. time yeah which we'll mention here yeah but uh yeah let's get into it i'm gonna give you a plus synopsis you want to lead you want me to lead you um i don't care to lead if you want me to why don't you lead only because i'm gonna lead on the next one okay cool uh, Spider Baby, a caretaker, devotes himself to three demented adults after their father's death. That's a very simple and concise, uh, to say the least, uh, uh, synopsis. It's very good, actually, because you could you could arguably give away the whole movie in uh, no time. So this movie I had seen, obviously, being a genre movie buff, uh, to say the least. Uh, I had seen this ages ago, right? So this is kind of like a... Uh, it's almost one of those rite of passage type genre films, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it, it's one that because it, it doesn't really fit into any box neatly, I think it has a, see, it's one of those things where it would have a large appeal to people that are into kind of drive-in fare, exploitation mm-hmm. yeah. fare, yeah. horror, uh, the artier side of kind of trans- transgressive art films, um, you know, like a baby doll kind of bonkers, you know, late 50s, early 60s films. I think it fits into a lot of boxes. Uh, yeah. So it has a large appeal, certainly. Maybe. And, you know, the fact that you're getting Hill, who for my money is, and this is only the second Hill we've done. It's it's baffling. Yeah. But, you know, it's the, with the road we travel, I guess, the road yeah. less traveled. Yeah. Um, Both of them released by Arrow, we should say. We've only them, done, yeah, but we we only cover Jack Hill if he's covered by Arrow. Right. I don't know how that's possible though, because Jack Hill's uh, cover, uh, did two of the best uh, Pam Greer films, so it's, it's yeah, cool. abso- absolutely. It's <laughs> uh, crazy. Yeah, just one of my favorite directors that you know, much like when I talked about Bill Lustig earlier, Jack Hill is a guy who can always stretch a dollar, always makes it stylish and engaging. Yeah, yeah. He's always. Uh, I mean, he, for for his time, and he didn't work very long. I think early '80s, he was out of the game. Um, but for his, uh, you know, brief moment in the late sixties and, and seventies, he was, he was on it. I mean, he, oh, he yeah. was, he was batting high that a batting average was good. So very good. So we'll get into some of that. Uh, the influence, like you said, of spider baby is, is on, on its generation is unbelievable. Oh. I mean, you talk about Rob zombie, you talk about uh, Toby Hooper to me, Maybe, Tim Burton, Tim Burton. Yeah. You talk about him. I mean, this film's influence is far and wide. The film only shot for only 60 grand. And I think they shot it in like twelve days or something. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And twenty five hundred dollars for uh, Lon Chaney Jr., who at this point in his career uh, was, you know, kind of absorbed completely by alcoholism and some health issues he had. A shame. It is a shame because you know what, Lon Chaney Jr. in this film is so good. He is. He really is so good in this film, and he was a good actor, a really good actor. He, I think he obviously he, I think he felt the ghost of his dad on him for his whole life. Um. And he didn't handle it quite well. Uh, and then, of course, you know, he got typecast, obviously, as well. But you go back and look at Lon Chaney Jr.'s work, and you get outside of the Wolfman and some of the horror stuff. And this this is a guy who could act. He could flat-out act, and he had a great face. Yep. Oh, he had a great face, man. Great face. Yeah. I, he, Yeah, I wish he was able to kind of parlay that into more serious turns. I wish he had worked with someone like... Um, 
uh, what's his name, like, well, let me think his age. Yeah, I, I was Lou Matt or, you know, Kazan. Some of these guys in the 50s and 60s that were making some really interesting films. Because I think he has the chops. And he has a, such, like you said, such a great face. Yeah, yeah. You know, he died young, even though you can't tell in this movie. Um, I don't know how old he was when this movie was being shot. But, I mean, he, he died at 67. But he already looked well into his late 60s, early 70s when he was in this film. I mean, he... You know, the alcohol, cigarettes, things like that, that really put the age on him. I mean, he was he was old before his time, we should say. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, really tore through it. So, you know, that that's the way it goes sometimes. But, yeah, he, underrated, I've always thought, as an actor. 100%. Yeah. Um, we should talk about some of the other cast as well. Um, let me go back to that real quick. So, I'll, So it was shot in 12 days in August of 1964. Um. It says on this uh, IMDb trivia that Lon Chaney frequently had to be wiped down between every take because yeah, there's pretty hot. no air conditioning. <laughs> so, so ooh, sweaty Chaney, man, um, that might have been kind of rough, especially if you looks like the... he would be a sweaty dude though. <laughs> yeah, he does. Well, he's probably sweating that alcohol out too. Oh man. yeah, because evidently there's a story on set that uh, he uh, Jack Hill wouldn't let him drink, mm-hmm. so he would uh, squeeze all of the uh, juice out of oranges and inject the oranges with a hypodermic needle with vodka. And oh, he would man. be on the set uh, eating these oranges all the time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, pulling one over on his director, he'd be fucking tanked because he was eating these oranges full of vodka. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, when you, when you got a when you got a vice, you got a vice, right? So that one kind of consumed him. Let me ask you this before I forget. Uh, much like the classic Betty or Veronica, Elizabeth or Virginia. Ooh, oh, okay, okay. Um, well, my favorite in the film isn't either one of those. I think you know who. Oh I'm yeah, <laughs> I know who your favorite is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I always yeah. go for the older vixen types. Yeah, little Emily Howe. Uh, oh yeah, Carol Olmert is. Uh, oof, yeah, yeah, man. Delish. Sammy search came up a little empty, but uh, yeah. Sadly. Uh, you know it's weird. Uh, I think. I think in a weird way, I might like Elizabeth more in this one, even though I was more of Virginia before. Dude, I'm all, I'm with you 100%, man. Oh, you liked Elizabeth too, uh, Beverly yeah, Washburn? I mean, of course, Carol Omar, it's uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, but of the two Mary girls, uh, yeah, man, Beverly Washburn, just something about her mouth. I mean, she's... Uh, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, she's, she's kind of pouty. Yeah, she's kind of pouty and, you know, sexy. and. I think that's one of the things that... I really like about the film is, you know, much like we talked about kind of how it's ticks a lot of boxes. I feel like there is very much a, a kind of a, a primal and budding sexuality in the film. Yeah. 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 It's, it seems, you know, it's shot in 64. It seems a little ahead of its time. Sexual sexuality yeah. wise. Yeah. It does. Because the Carol Olmart stuff is in a way for 64. It's, it's pretty perverted. Risque. right? Well, I think there's a lot of risque stuff. There's incest and cannibalism. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, potential rape. Yeah. And all those things. I mean, this film is, you know, you consider the time frame. It's, it's pretty risque. You, you know, if you go back and watch it now, obviously it doesn't, you know, by this time, most viewers that haven't seen this have seen, you know, a Serbian film. So this thing looks like fucking, like uh, to, to yeah to name another Beverly Washburn film looks like fucking old Yeller in comparison. 
Totally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, totally. You know, one thing I can't, and I, I, even when I watched this, I can't help but think that the reason I mentioned Tim Burton is this feels a lot like Beetlejuice to me. It does. It does. It feels like, I mean, it really feels like a mix of Beetlejuice and Texas Tex- Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then thrown in with all that House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, right? I mean, yeah. It, it feels like all of those things uh, put together. It's, it's, it's interesting. It really is. Um, a matter of fact, I, I never even realized, I haven't seen this film in, in well, it's been at least 10 years, and maybe more than that, but I didn't even realize how heavily influenced. Well, I can tell you I haven't seen this since I've seen House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Oh, same. And yeah. I've since watched yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre before I've watched this again. So watching it this time, you know, with a critical eye, I was like, wow, man, they, those guys, you know, really kind of, you can really sense that uh, kind of take on it. You can sense, you know, like Joe Dante's a big fan. You can sense that too. You can sense that Dante oh, kind of has that kind of dark sense of humor. Um, and some of that bleeds through in some of his work as well. Well, so. the burbs, right? I mean, yeah. you get a little bit of, even though it's not like a straight A to B lift. I mean, there's definitely influence there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This is an interesting film too. Cause you know, it, it, it's kind of a bridge film from like in a weird way. It's shot in 64, but it's kind of like that bridge, that in between time between like old Hollywood and the early 60s and new Hollywood and kind of the late 60s. Late 60s, totally, man. Yeah, where things started to change quite a bit. You know, the culture was changing. Uh, Jack Hill was kind of on the uh, the cusp of all that counterculture type stuff. I don't know if he was personally into it, but he certainly was, you know, in a, in a, in a way, a counterculture, counterculture filmmaker. Yeah, it says uh, here that uh, yeah, Cheney was only about sixty-one years old at the time this movie was made. So, oh, wow. man, he he looks older than sixty-one. To put it in perspective, you know, Robert De Niro is seventy something, seventy or seventy-one now. So, you know, uh, depends on how you take care of yourself. You know, you, yeah, big time, man. I mean, De Niro looks older. Don't get me wrong, but he don't look. Uh, ooh, he don't look as rough as Cheney looks at sixty. Let's put it that way. No, mm, rough. Um, so there are some interesting other facts about this film. Uh, the actor that played uh, uh, Peter Howe, Quinn Whitaker. Um, well, um, some people might not know this. Uh, he wrote, uh, I believe he wrote Deer Hunter, didn't he? I think he did. I don't know. I think he did That's write Deer Hunter. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? There's a lot of talented people involved in this film. And even, to be honest, with Cemetery Without Crosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrote Deer Hunter. He was in the slams, but I don't remember him. Oh, yeah. No, I don't either. You know, it's crazy. I just see there's a connection here. It says in the IMDb, this is featured in the worst 50, 50 worst films ever made. Like, whoever wrote that book, man, I hope you wrote, never wrote another book. Like, <laughs> yeah. come on. Yeah, you don't. Well, 50 whoever, worst. Yeah, whoever wrote that book doesn't quite understand what this film's going for, right? Prone to hyperbole. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, original title, Cannibal Orgy. Which I think might have been smart to change it to Spider Baby. It, yeah, absolutely. You know, this also feels like it comes on the heels of the the H.G. Lewis stuff, and to call it Cannibal Orgy, I think would have muddied the water too much with with his films. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a sensational title, but Spider Baby's more mysterious and still evocative, and I think it's more um, true. Yeah. To the film, and and how about that? Uh, that Spider Baby theme, man, sung by Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, man. Again, a man of many talents, you know. Back <laughs> yeah. in the old days in Hollywood, you had to be able to do it all, you know. Oh, yeah. 
He's probably doing a little tiptoe dance, you know. That'd be wicked, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I don't. I know he was, even though you know, like I said, he had his problems uh, with alcohol and other things. I think he was really well liked on the set. I think he kind of took on like, a, from what I understand, kind of Father. a fatherly role. Yeah. And I know the guy I was just talking about, Quinn Redeker, uh, said that he would go into his. Uh, well, there's a trivia that he would go into his uh, kind of trailer and hang out with him, and. Uh, Cheney was always making his uh, homemade mustard. He loved making mustard. I don't know. It's just kind of such, such a bizarre <laughs> tidbit. Such a know? specific uh, <laughs> thing to be making on set yeah. all the time. It's like, come on over to Sammy's trailer where I'm making love to ladybugs this yes. weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and not the actual bug, but the VC VHS tape of the Rodney Dangerfield classic. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I mean, it's just such a bizarre like bit of trivia. But evidentently, uh, Cheney was quite the homemade mustard, homemade mustard aficionado. Yeah, man, that's, that is a bizarre thing to be into. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? I'm sure it was probably pretty tasty. Probably you know, homemade mustard, you know. I'm a big mustard guy, so, yeah, I'd be curious to taste it. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd be curious to taste it now. Probably, probably. <laughs> I wonder if that recipe's carried down through the years, you know. I wonder if that comes from Lon Chaney himself, the master of a thousand faces there. <laughs> master of a thousand mustards. Yeah, a thousand <laughs> different mustards. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I want to talk about, in covering this this time and I, and I I want to talk about it because I've heard other podcasts talk about this movie and they always talk about the horror elements you know there's the spiders there's uh knives there's a bit there's some horror comedy bits in here uh with a messenger it's very silly but it's uh, you know kind of gruesome in its own way too yeah and there's some other gruesomeness uh if you're not a fan of cats and I know I don't like cats but I don't like them I don't dislike them as much as Sid Haig does oh, or yeah. maybe oh, I should I love say them as much as <laughs> Sid Haig does yes <laughs> yes um I do love ill-fitting tuxedos and suits like Sid Haig does, though. <laughs> <laughs> I am a fan of the, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. the ill-fitting suit. I did watch a lot of Popeye growing up, you know, the ill-fitting <laughs> suits. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about the set dressing itself, the, in- the interiors of this film. Now, the exterior is a house in California. It's still there. Uh, like I said, the Her- Heritage Home, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, like I said, there's this feature on here where Jack Hill goes back and revisits the house. So it's still there. It looks pretty much the same. It doesn't look very different on the outside. I don't, they didn't shoot anything on the inside, I believe. I think on the inside, it's all sets. The amount for this film to only be made for 60 thousand dollars, the amount of detail in the interiors is pretty insane. I mean, they've really cobwebbed this thing up. It looks great. I mean, it really looks great. Like that's the thing. Like we were saying, Hill really knew how to stretch his dollar and surround himself with really talented people which further enhances the quality of your production like yeah it doesn't look like a really low budget piece of shit film like even you know his other stuff like uh in the films he did in the philippines with corman and for corman i should say and switchblade sisters all these films uh just look great and they just have a style and this one has a really good look to it man and they do dress that house up fantastically it's crazy man the guy that shot this movie was the same guy that shot Killer Cons from Outer Space. And that was the last thing he shot. He didn't do anything after that. Yeah, because that would have been about 22 or 23 years later. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It's one mm-hmm. of those kind of weird things. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the set direction is is pretty insane. Uh, it really is. Uh, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to look through here and see who's kind of responsible for it, but I'm not really seeing what's the art direction. Ray Story is the name of the gentleman. Uh, ooh, an Ottawa, Ontario boy. Uh, nice. look, at that. look at that! Yeah, How about that. Let's see what else he did. Only did seventeen things. 
worked on Hunter, the TV show, so obviously. Nice. He's, he's got GGTMC cred. Yeah. <laughs> so got that going for him. Ooh, baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. That. Uh, oh, man, that dinosaur <laughs> film, right? Yeah. yeah, which for some is uh, nostalgic, but for me is a nightmare of not very good movie making. But anyway. Yeah, that, that's, that movie is so coop. I think Fabian <laughs> probably digs on that one, too. Yeah, that one's a... Yeah, that one's a <laughs> A William Cat Sean Young connection there. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Sammy not a not a big fan of baby. <laughs> but I do like Spider Baby, but not so much the baby. Um so yeah, this 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 film like we said, I think the weird thing about going back and watching this film now is it, it has so much genre reputation mm-hmm. that it's almost weird to watch it now if you're in if you're running in the circles that we run in. It's kind of bizarre. It's kind of a bizarre watch, almost in a weird way. It's like because you see all of those influences and stuff, it it feels kind of weird sometimes. It's like, man, this film feels like I've it feels like I've seen this a thousand times over the last thirty years. <laughs> yeah, it does because of how much uh, it's informed and the ripple effect of what that what it informed has informed, and so on and so on. Yeah, uh, just a couple more notes from me. Uh, the dinner scene is fucking disgusting. Oh, yeah. uh, I can't stand it. Uh, not it's not just because the food's gross, but I, you know I hate the sound of people chewing and shit like that. It just uh, drives me biz- It just drives me fucking bananas. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do like the werewolf joke in the film. Kind of end joke yes. there. The werewolf joke from Lon Chaney Jr. It's yeah, nice. That's good. It's a good touch. <laughs> um, it's weird that he doesn't eat it. I don't think he eats a bit of food. That, their salad. That that that's a pretty dry salad. Let's say that. Oh that. man. <laughs> You can't have dry salad. That's, I'm sorry, well, I don't, you can't. I don't even think that's salad. I think that was like lawn. <laughs> yeah. Lawn for lawn. Yeah, yeah seriously. With some lawn Cheney salad. Yes. Um, but in retrospect, watching it, if you think about the time frame in which it was made and when it was released, it's such an odd and kind of groundbreaking film. And you can kind of see... You know why Jack Hill, you know, was kind of unique compared to a lot of his uh, his peers and stuff. Um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola uh, was working around the same time. Uh, I think uh, I don't think they worked on this. Maybe they did work on this film together, but I don't know if they worked on it completely together. But Coppola was around uh, Jack oh, Hill yeah. at the time, so uh, it's weird. Jack Hill's career went one way, and Coppola's went another. Uh, of course, you know. Coppola's career started though, and very much in B movies and things like that. Like he didn't turn down a job; he just worked, and you know his career became something else. But it's always weird to see pictures of Coppola without his beard and stuff. He's such a he's so yeah. he's so different looking without his beard and stuff. And his tinted glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Francis Ford Coppola disguise, right? Yeah. It's like seeing like early pictures of Bogdanovich without the ascot, or maybe early <laughs> yes, pictures exactly. of Jack Hill without the turtleneck. Yes, he does love a turtleneck. You're right, man. I wonder if in the 80s, if he rocked a necklace on the outside of his turtleneck. <laughs> or in the 60s, <laughs> yeah. 70s. Yeah, he may have he been carried a, that right through. May have been ahead of his game there, too. You know, even well, In the 60s, it was probably an amulet. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. An amulet with like a Run DMC chain around it. You know, <laughs> like a big old fat gold rope with a fat amulet uh, on it with Sid Haig's face on it. Yeah. <laughs> And we should say, you know, Sid Haig kind of maybe the most notable noticeable face outside of Lon Chaney Jr. in this. Uh, it's a bizarre performance, but it's it's a it's again proof that Sid Haig has a special something on Sid camera. Haig is talented man, it's an effective performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can again the influence of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. You can see it. I mean, he's, he's obviously he's two different characters, but you know, you can tell that Rob Zombie's a big fan and 
Yeah, and said, hey, you know, I've, again, more talented actor than he's given credit for. Definitely Much more talented. You know, he's got a look, so that kind of pigeonholes him. But, uh, yeah, man, good actor, very good actor. Uh, maybe, no, not similar to Cheney Jr., because I don't think Haig has the the demons that Cheney Jr. has. But uh, Yeah, Haig's always seems to, you have said I've had a, the pleasure of sitting in on a few Q&As he did at like festivals here, but he always seems to be a very happy guy. So you're right, I think you nailed it. He doesn't seem to have the same demons or yeah, I mean, the last darkness time, in the side. That yeah, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I remember the last time, I, one, one of the whorehounds that we were at, it was actually the first one that uh, was the one that Loaf came to. Yep. I was walking down the hallway toward uh, a group of our people, <laughs> And uh, Sid was coming the other way, and we kind of did that thing where he's going in one door and I'm going in the, out the other door, and we kind of did a little cha-cha-cha in the hallway. Nice. And uh, he had a little moment, and I was like, sorry about that, uh, Sid. And he goes, uh, you got to buy me dinner first before we go dancing, brother. That's what he said. So <laughs> That sounds like something he would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kind of laughed. He's a tall dude, eh? Yeah, yeah. He has an ab- I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but he has an abnormally large head. <laughs> he does have a big head, and he likes to wear... He has a a penchant for uh, wearing rings. Yes, rings and black t-shirts. Yes, he loves to rock a black t-shirt. Like uh, that guy, you know, he would he would fit in good at a metal concert. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he would. <laughs> Needless to say, I guess it's a safe assumption that the Sid experience for you was better than <laughs> the Savini. Oh yeah, because I got I got a, I got a pat on the arm and a smile and a you know yeah. call me called brother man. Other experiences have been uh, shoulder butts and looks of uh, disgust. Yeah, uh, man. So uh, yeah. giving each other the that was guy. that was that was the same that was the same horrorhound actually. Was it? Yeah, a tale of two horrorhounds. <laughs> yeah, a tale of two experience with genre heavyweights. Yeah, that's right, man. And why I would easily go back to one table as opposed to another. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Higgs. He's a, he's a really cool dude, man. Well, he seems to know. You know, he seems to be proud of what he's accomplished. Yeah, he doesn't you know have any uh preconceived notions it's paid the bills for him he's he's happy with what it's given him and it's it's afforded him i think a lot of opportunity that most people in the world will never experience so i'm looking forward like big time i'm hoping this film's gonna be good i'm hoping bone tomahawk will be good that kurt russell film because he's in that <clears throat> yeah who's the director again uh, i don't know it's uh some guy named s craig zoller so oh, but it's, it's got a great factor yeah it's got a great poster and uh, that that direct that guy's only directed that's his only directorial film. So ooh, it's it's a ooh, that's, it's a risky one, but uh, man, it it got a great poster, great title, and a good cast. Man, Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Sean Young again coming up again. There she's in there. Matthew Fox, Matthew Fox, Arquette. Ooh, ooh I don't know about that Arquette uh, casting. Richard Jenkins, Richard Jenkins, ooh. Michael Perret, James Token. Yeah. Man, James, we just mentioned him last week on the show. Yeah, so I mean, there's a cast there. Like I said, say Hague's in there, so. What did Zoller do to get that kind of money? I don't know, but uh, oh, he's a man. I don't know because even his like he's done cinematography for a few films, and mm-hmm. I don't know how he got the money together. Don't know either, but uh, you know he wrote it as well. So I'm 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 looking forward to it. It's a great post. Is this like man. a black script or something? I I don't know. I really don't know anything about it. I mean I. I was surprised to see it. Uh, I think it'll probably it probably won't get released before it says it's supposed to be released next month, and it's a tricky genre anyway, the horror western. So it could be a real mess. But uh, bravo to Kurt Russell who could easily be taking easy jobs, and he he takes these bizarre. He sometimes takes bizarre. You know, he doesn't pick. A, he doesn't do a lot of work anymore. So it's weird. Some of the stuff he picks is weird to me. Well, he's been busy since 2015. He did Fast and Furious Seven, 
hateful eight bone tomahawk i don't know man if you had to place money on bone tomahawk being good or not, not so good <laughs> no well it's yeah hard to, <laughs> yeah it, it might it's gonna be one of those films where my hopes are gonna be high yeah. and uh i'm i'm concerned about my hopes <laughs> it's a great poster it is a great poster yeah it's great yeah this this seems like the kind of film that would play at tiff midnight madness sure sure yeah He's doing that uh, Deepwater Horizon film too, which is about the uh, the oil spill in 2010 oh, wow. down there, which uh, has him and Mark Wahlberg. Ooh, and Kate, Kate Hudson. Yeah, I know John Malkovich. Yes. It's got a great cast. Peter Berg directed it, so I'm a little worried there might Mark be some. Berg, yeah. Well, I'm a little worried there might be some slow motion oil spills in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> might be some uh, very stylized oil spillage in uh, in a Peter Berg oil spill film. <laughs> <laughs> but we should say that uh, Sid, we also well, should say. JC Chandor helped to write it, though. Yeah, yeah, he was going to direct it, and I was really excited, but he, he backed okay. out. But we should say also, uh, just to kind of say this, uh, Sid Haig, not afraid to work, which is another thing I love about him. I mean, that guy, he's, he's had some health experiences, uh, bad experiences uh, of recent, but uh, he still keeps, he keeps working. He didn't do I anything hope. in 2016, I think, due to his health, but he's back in it now. He's uh, doing a film too. called Abrupt, Abruptio. But yeah, he doesn't turn down much. How on the Hog, Razor, Suicide for Beginners, Zombex. He's another guy that I think because he's so likable and charming, much like Samuel L. Jackson and a few others, he can get away with making complete dog shit. Yeah. And still feel like, you know, you're excited to see him in a film. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. One of the few directors you can say that's worked not only with Jack Hill, uh, actors. uh, Yeah. That's worked with Jack Hill and, uh, Rob Zombie, but also, and I think some people forget this, George Lucas. THX one one three eight. He was in that. So Right. And I wouldn't have known that when I'd seen it, or even when I rewatched it. Or even John Borman. Remember, he was in uh, Point Blank as well. So it's always yeah, crazy. crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Sid's been around. A lot of stories though. Oh man, I I'd imagine I met I I've never really hung out with him, but I bet his behind the scenes stories are amazing. Because totally. he's he's worked with just about every actor. You can think of. I mean, he's worked with tons of people. I'm sure he's got some great stories. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I got on Spider Baby. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to add. Um, It's just crazy that 350 plus episodes in seven years in, this is only our second Jack Hill, none of which star Pam Greer or were made in the 70s. And our first Lon Chaney Jr., right? Which is crazy, yeah. It absolutely is. And our first Carol Omart, but ooh, man. Won't be my it won't be my last Carol Omart. She looks delicious. She knows how to fill that out, man. Oh man, man, she was she hot. I mean, she oof. looks good. She she does look good. Man, she's trying on that. I'm not a big lingerie guy, but I am. <laughs> I'm not. It's just for me. It's just an obstacle. But yeah. uh, but I, I like a nicely wrapped uh, present, man. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Don't it's get me wrong. I don't have a big problem with it, but I mean, it's just it's not you know. But it's they, not your thing. Yeah, it's not my thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm much more the It Follows crowd, which is just walk toward me naked, and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I want right. that to follow me around. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Please that's touch amazing. me. That's amazing. Man, I, I almost jumped out of my seat when that chick in the kitchen, man. Oh, no, there's a lot of good Jeez. moments. That, that tall dude in the hallway, that's a good moment. Yeah, there's a few good ones. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen it, but yeah, there's a... Some well, some well choreographed uh, jump scares. Yeah, some chills. They're not like the cheapo ones either. No, no, no. They're not cheap. I think they're all earned. 
Yeah. They do earn it. Uh, Maybe the most sure. bizarre moment in the film, I should say, though, there's a moment where a character's hair gets grabbed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, for me, is like totally not fitting of the tone of the film, but whatever. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's a nitpick. But, uh, oh, man, I totally blanked out there. Salon, we talked about. Um, we were just talking about how we went, you know, you know, we've done this, been doing the show for seven years. and Yeah, hell, for a second film. Crazy. I love the cycle babble, which is very much of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the film. You know, what's her name reminded me of was uh, Omar. Let me a little bit of Meryl Streep, like a, ho- a hotter Meryl Streep. Yeah, she's got that look in her face and stuff. I think she was uh, kind of like considered like a, kind of like a B-movie Marilyn Monroe early in her career. Wow, nice. Um, <clears throat> the one dude. <clears throat> she's still alive, it should be said, but she doesn't uh, doesn't really do interviews or anything. No, yeah. I know that, um, interestingly, um, what's her name there? Uh, not Washburn, Jill Banner, I think it was, who played mm-hmm. Virginia. She ended up married, or, or like, she ended up, uh, man, she died young. She died at 35. Oof. Jeez. What was she died uh, of? I think she was with. Uh, she was working. She went into a coma. Oh man, her oh. car! Oh, her yeah. car was hit by a tr- drunk truck driver. Ugh. She hit her head on the center divider. Ugh. Fuck! But Ooh. she, uh, yeah, she was. It says here she was employed by Marlon Brando, but I thought I read somewhere that they were together. But anyway, well, uh, Marlon Brando it could have been. I mean, he he, uh, you know, was not afraid to dabble in anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, dodgy Irish accents or women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, or uh, or uh, Lon Chaney's uh, recipe for homemade mustard, potentially. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he would get down with that. Yeah. Uh, but the one lawyer in this reminds me of like a, a schlubbier American version of the French actor Matthew Amalric. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Carl Schnaz, Schnazer. Schnazer. Oh, Schanzer. Schanzer. Schnazer. Yeah, he's he, he's fun in a kind of a goofy kind of caricature type performance. Yeah, he he totally is. I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that works well for me is, and this is kind of ahead of its time, again, a lot of the things in this, you have to look at them in the context of when the film was made, is the shots of uh, the kids looking at the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very effective because you feel like they're a little bit, well, they are very much off kilter, and it's it's, it's kind of unnerving when they're looking at it, they're talking almost to you. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we talk, you know what else this reminds me of, too, is... Um, not so much what this is influenced, but this is influenced by is some of like those Abbott and Costello kind of zany horror comedies in some yes, ways. Yes, yes. Um, which I like. You know, you especially get that with Chaney and with Shanzer and stuff. Um, and just uh, I feel like this has to be a little bit, uh, obviously, with, you know, um, with the Chaney Jr. Uh, nod and... Uh, I feel like it's a kind of a, you know, homage to universal horror. But again, Elia Kazan's baby doll. I feel like there's some, uh, some, in, some sort of uh, influence there, homage to. Um, well, how about that peeping Sid? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> you know, uh, what's his name there? The, uh, the male lead, um, uh, Quinn Redeker. Yeah. 
he to me kind of had like a Tony Curtis or Larry Hagman esque charm. Yeah. Well, I like I, what I like about him in the film is how kind of uh, naive he is. Yeah, and and I think you know what else the film kind of has the energy of like those those kind of like uh, those beach blanket bingo type films. It has like a fun, yeah. Yeah. everyone's in on the gag kind of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know another one that was influenced by this because there's a really great kind of chilling reveal at the back end is the Australian film from a few years ago, The Loved Ones. Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think about that. Yeah, Loved One calls to that with a uh, reveal at the end of that film. Yeah, how about that? Uh, and I like the ending. I think the ending's good. The ending's nice. Uh, chilling a little bit too, certainly. But uh, the disc is jam-packed. There's a lot of good stuff going on with this disc. Um, you know, commentary track with Hagen Hill, I think you mentioned that. The Hatching of Spider Baby, Spider Stravinsky, The Cinema Sounds of Ronald Stein, the revisited portion you talked about. The current panel discussion is good, too. It's about 4, 35, 40 minutes long, uh, that early film by Hill. So there's a lot going on. This is, a, I think, a solid, solid addition to anyone's collection, and the film looks great. So when you get a classic film that's been lovingly taken care of and been packed to the gills with features, you have an all-around really good disc. And Yeah, yeah. Even if you're a big fan, I think it's worth the upgrade, right? I mean, because it looks great. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's got great cover art. I mean, it's just a great package. Yeah, I, kudos to Arrow. I keep saying that, but their their inserts in terms of books and their cover art, I feel like every, you know, with some, I've wanted to like flip it back to the original, but their cover art's been so good that I've just kept it as the uh, the updated ones. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really nice. I mean, I've never owned Spider-Baby, so it's nice to finally own no, it. No, me neither. And uh, own it in a really nice nice look. I mean, it, it looks great. Even the spine, the, the design of the spine is great. Mm-hmm. The way the spider baby's written on the spine, so it's really, really, really exceptional package. All right, um, <clears throat> let's see here. Make or break. Uh, I think I'll go with the dinner scene. I like the dinner scene quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty great. Um, I should say also, I like the old school hearse. Very, very, oh, man, very strange. monsters. I was about to say another thing. This reminds me of is monsters and the Adams family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind of much more kind of a kind of slightly sleazy, more perverse adult version of, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my MVT for this film, uh, I'm going to go Chaney Jr., man. I really like Lon Chaney Jr. I think, you know, he got... I think he's one of those actors who got shit on a lot due to his uh, offset antics and, uh, you know, demons. But I think he's... You know, I don't know how many times I'll be able to give him a shot at this. Maybe one other film I can think of off the top of my head, but... Uh, where he's really the MVT, but I mean he's always he's always solid. He's good in High Noon. He's good in a lot of films, man. I think he's good in quite a few westerns, actually. If you ever see any of his other stuff, yeah, he made some schlock, but you know what? You, you got to pay the bills, you know, and that's the way it goes. Uh, we don't all get to, you know, we're not all uh, Leonardo DiCaprio thereby. Mm-hmm. Uh, my score for the film, I'm gonna go seven out of ten. I really like nice. it. I think it's good. I think. Uh, it's a, like I said, it's an interesting watch when you watch all the modern films it's influenced by. Um, darker than you would expect for its time frame. We should say that. Yeah, it's definitely darker than I remember it being. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised watching this time some of the stuff I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten all the, the kind of cannibalism stuff and all that stuff. A little, you know, obviously it's no, <laughs> it's no cannibal ferox or anything, but it's still, <laughs> you know, it's still. Uh, Darker than you know, I can remember most things from that period being. I mean, you got remember sixty four is one of a shot. wasn't released till sixty seven, but yeah, sixty four. That's pretty early for the, you know, incest and yeah, cannibalism, incest and uh, 
Carol Olmart in some uh, lingerie with Sid Haig drooling. Yeah, man. And his 95 teeth he has in his head. Yes. All right. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the make or break scene, also being the dinner scene. It's great. Obviously influenced maybe horror films' greatest dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, MVT, I'm going to go with Hill. I could have went with uh, a number of things, Lon Chaney Jr., Sid Haig, the cast. But I feel like, you know, Hill's the one that's wrangling everything in, in his Wrangler jeans and his turtleneck and uh, his amulet necklace. So, and speaking of tinted glass, I think he's a fan of the tinted glasses too. Um, but yeah, MVT is Hill, one of my favorites. And my score is just slightly higher than your 7.25. I think this film, not to d- dismiss it, is more important. I, I, it doesn't speak yeah, to me the yeah. way like uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Return of the Living Dead does or Eight Fleenies, Eight and a Half does. Understood, but I understood. Like it's, it's importance to genre film and the ripple effect, much like Godzilla, cannot be um, yeah. overstated. I could totally see, if somebody gave this an eight and a half or nine, I would totally I understand. Get it. Yeah, yeah, I would I totally get it. get it. It's not that for me, but that would totally make sense because it is a, you know, it's a catalyst. It's a harbinger. It's yeah. a, it's, you know, and its influence is, it's heavy. I mean, it's a heavy, influential film and arguably one of the most important genre films of, of its time. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And really, Absolutely. so man, so influenced so much of the modern horror film. I just didn't really even think about it until I watched it again. Big time, man. Big time. All right, we're going to take a short break and uh, come back and do, uh, we'll do Cemetery Without Crosses next, keeping with the, uh, the uh, chronological order. So we'll be back right after this. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else you need? And the odd. I've seen so bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www. The good, the bad, and the odd.com. What a beautiful podcast. morning (laughs) yeah so (laughs) totally the same as that uh first track i played yeah yes (laughs) sounds just like it all right wait till the next break
there's nothing like that. There's something something more GGTMC than ever in the next one. All right, uh, next film is Cemetery Without Crosses. That's what it's released by, by uh, under the title by Arrow. That's what it might be known as, probably more so than the other title, which is The Rope and the Colt, which is also a good title. Um. I, I much prefer the title Cemetery Without Crosses, yeah, though. Yeah, I could go either way, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's just so good. The, both both titles are very Italian spaghetti, right? Rope and the Colt and a Cemetery Without Crosses, definitely. Um, okay, this is directed by Robert Hossein. I think if you say his name right, Hossein? Yeah. Hossein? Uh, we should say also a story credit in here by Dario Argento, some of his Yes. Yes. This is uh, the plot's nuts. Manuel is a leather-clad killer drawn into a tragic kidnap murder plot by his former flame, Maria Kane. Uh, yeah, you ready to? You ready to go? I'm ready to listen. Sorry, I got a yeah. I hear that an awake six-year-old. Yes, I've, I've been up all night. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah. been up for a little while. Huh? Partying. Okay, so. Yeah, let's talk about this one, man. This was one I had said to you. Uh, let me shut the door here. Hang on. Give me just a moment. Well, while you're doing that, let me. I, I want to go over. Let me. I always try to go over the specs as much as possible. So I'll go over those real quick while you're getting set up. Yeah, we got to keep this one tight because I know it's a school day for you. Yeah. Uh, this was one that um, I kept mixing up with uh, Requiescent, I think. Uh, I'd said to you, I'd yeah. never seen this one. And I liked that Arrow's putting out spaghettis, um, you know, they're a little off the beaten path. This was one that I'd heard of, of course, but never seen. And um, We should say, I didn't go over, like I was, I was going to talk about, you were closing the door, I was going to talk about the specs. There's not a whole lot of bonus features on this one. It's a new 2K restoration. Looks looks pretty good. I mean, there's some pops in the beginning, but it looks great other than that. Yeah, especially uh, considering it's not like a, an abundantly available one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, because I think the first time I ever saw this, I saw it back on YouTube back in the day. But uh, uh, it is it is pretty good. You got uh, Hussein on here. He's still alive. He's still kicking around there. Looks pretty good for his age, all things considered. Yeah, he does. He does. And uh, he's got an interview on there talking about Sergio and uh, should, we should say Leone, I believe. So Who the film is dedicated to. Yes, uh, and rightfully so. There are some very Leone-esque moments in this film. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, there sure is, but I think even though the features, special features aren't abundant, the six-minute new interview with um, uh, Hussein is good. The location report is interesting. Then there's another interview with Hussein shot in, I want to say it was shot in Cannes maybe, but or, or actually for a, for a uh, French TV show back in the 60s, Côté d'Azur, Actualité, which... Yeah, I don't know that show. Obviously, I didn't live in France in the '60s, but uh, we, you know, we. Uh, but uh, I, I like all of these because I think they give us a really good insight into Hussein as a filmmaker, as an actor, in terms of his motivations and passions. So I think they're even though they're short, they're sweet. Yes, yes. Um, so this is a French spaghetti. I think uh, it was Alex Cox who coined the phrase a baguette western. Uh, before I'd seen that he had done that, I said I put escargot western question mark. Yeah. Um, I think that. Uh, yes, because for those who don't know, most of the European countries kind of got in on the. Uh, Germany did. Yeah. Italy did. Western. Spain was where they were all shot. Mm-hmm. You know, but but really, Italy is the spot. France hadn't done a lot. This was the first spaghetti western uh, to be done by French in France. Mm-hmm. Um. It's uh, 
I'll say this. I think that Hussein gets – oh, wow, Porky Pig. He does double duty as, as director and actor, which is never an easy thing to do. I think he does a great job. And I'll be forthright in saying I was very, very pleased with this film. Um, I love this film. Nice, nice. I absolutely love this film. It reminds me of my favorite spaghetti western quite a bit, um, which you introduced me to, yeah, The Great yeah, Silence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which ironically also stars a Frenchman in the lead, and I feel like Hussein is channeling his Trintignant a little bit in this. Nice, you know, in terms of his uh, his. I think there's, and I would even say that um, Michelle Mercier is that her name? Yeah. You know, actress who uh, is known for I think the Angelique series of films, and and Hussein had worked with her quite a bit. Um, she puts in a fantastic performance that to me is also very evocative of Vanetta McGee and. Uh, great silence. The way her eyes. Yeah. There's yeah. a. There's. I think this whole film has a melancholy, a sadness. It has a bleak tone. It reminds me a lot of the Great Silence. I don't think it's quite as good a film as the Great Silence, but I do think it's an admirable effort. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you were quite as high in it as I am, but um, I just think the feeling of tragedy and and I like that it's there's a, a sense of doom that pervades the film. Yeah. I, lo- I, what the, the, I think the difference for me is I enjoy Michelle Mercier, I enjoy Robert Hussein, and I think the direction is solid. But mm-hmm. for me, and I, I mentioned this a little bit before we started recording, that uh, for me, even though there are some great faces in the background, nobody really stands out um, outside of you know a few faces I saw in some Leone westerns. But yeah, yeah, the uh, nobody really kind of stands out as that heavy that I wanted. Um, but in saying that. I mean, I still do appreciate and like the film quite a bit. So uh, maybe, obviously, not maybe not a top 10 or 15 spaghetti for me, but still mm. not a bad spaghetti at all either. No, for sure. It's I not, think the cruelty of the that, film. Not that spaghetti that turned their bay. That's right. <laughs> now, I like, uh, I also feel like this film is indebted to Melville a little bit. Yeah. Like the, the feel of it, that, that inescapable fate. Yeah. Uh, that you know we see and i think that you know french have always been a little more serious minded whether it's their crime films or otherwise they're a little more serious minded than the italians that's going to take it over the top and more boisterous uh, by nature um so i feel like here it lends itself well to it if if every spaghetti western was like this the genre wouldn't be as fun you know there's a lot of fun to be <laughs> yeah. had with yeah <laughs> you know, yeah uh, if everyone was like the great silence we'd all be sitting around uh, you know i don't want to watch spaghetti again <laughs> no I'll, I'll go drink some uh, antifreeze instead, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that's not to, to discredit the film because, like I said, it's my favorite spaghetti ever. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's something to be said for the the gloom and doom. I mean, there, there's something to be said about that. Obviously, you know, I'm a fan. And there's, I think, you know, the the time was a harsh, unforgiving, cruel time. Um, so you know, to get that balance of the fun, rompy spaghettis with. Stuff like this and Great Silence and a few other darker ones, uh, I think it works well to have a few like this. Um, yeah, I like a lot of the faces in this. I think there's a lot of great faces. I would agree that maybe the character actors, other than Hussein and Mercier, and, and uh, I think the heavy in this is good. Um, but otherwise, a little bit anonymous maybe, but I think there's enough great faces that I was okay with that. And uh, the heavy in this, man, he really looks like... Uh, the love child of Rob Reiner and Paul Nashi. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does. <laughs> that Rob Reiner moment. 
because that mo- my my one note is Rob Reiner loves that lemon based foot wash. <laughs> <laughs> that was a GGTMC moment right there. That was amazing. Um, one of the things that really impressed me with this film was how well edited it was, and I went on to find out that it was the f- same editor that edited uh, Zulovsky's Possession. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I want to mention this because I think it's an interesting fact. The film is scored by Robert Hussein's father, who was a celebrated um, composer. Yeah, scored well, too. It's one or, of or, like orchestral, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? He was, a, I guess, a composer. The, he did the music for the film. So, you know, he, uh, he ended up doing a lot of the, he ended up working quite a bit, doing a lot of films, uh, I guess, a lot for his dad or for his son. And, I think with the the Paris uh, Symphony, he was he was a composer. So I like the score for this quite a bit. It's good. It's got honest. a great theme song too. And it's funny because the theme song is very much in line with like the the Rocky Roberts kind of Django, kind of like that. But then it, it takes a much more of a downbeat turn as it goes. So, yes, yes. You know, interesting. Um, the feast scene, I love, and I really love the feast scene. I don't know if you know this. You might. But the feast scene in this is something we don't get to see a lot in spaghetti westerns. And I really like that we get to see like our heavy is well off in this. And you see the good food they're eating. And It's, it's amazing we have two films with these great feast scenes in them this week. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, <laughs> I'm, uh, I agree bizarre. with you. This one is really good. The, the feast scene is really nice. Uh, I like... I like that they have a separate table for some of the other heavies, and uh, I like it the makes way, sense. There's a great payoff in the feast scene too. There is a great payoff. Well, you know, and, and those frontier folks sure love a good Jack in the Box surprise gag. But uh, yeah, ooh, who's calling me now? I don't want to be called. Right <laughs> that might be Robert Hossein saying, "Hey, man." Yeah, say <laughs> <C'est> magnifique. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll tell you something. Very cool little fact here: the feast scene was shot by Sergio Leone. Well, there you go. That makes sense yeah. to me. The way that it's edited and the kind of back and forth feels like, you know, the opening of uh, Once Upon a Time in the West or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I love that Hossein, you know, he has the faith to use economy of filmmaking without hysteronics and shrieking and screaming and over the top. It's sort of men of action. Um, and he, he has faith in the iconography of the genre versus kind of just really playing it over the top and lots of loud. Uh, and yeah. I don't know. I just, the poetic feel really works for me quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that he does a lot of stuff at night with the film, which can be dodgy doing day for night, but I feel like um, the nighttime stuff that we see in the film really adds to the mood Agreed. the atmosphere. Agreed. It's some day for night stuff, but it works. It works pretty well. Yeah. The one henchman looked like Don Backey to me, the Italian uh, singer slash actor that was in Rabbit Dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Man, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a shot near the back end of the film. It, 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 to me, is probably one of the most powerful moments I've seen in the Spaghetti Western. When uh, Hussein goes to see someone. Oh, there yeah. they are. <laughs> the Wanderers. And, uh, the Wanderers. Uh, they're a fan of Hussein, too. Uh, maybe Hussein was the fifth Wanderer. Um, <laughs> the shot near the end when someone has a tear streaming down their face. Yeah, it's good. Man, I fucking love, love that moment. And they're sort of just a doomed, 
feel to that scene and the realization of what what won't be, what can't be, and the inevitable march towards something, and and then we get we get a reveal at the back end too, um, which we didn't get, and uh, you know it uh, it works well. I think the film's really well shot too, like the way the camera pulls in like a POV shot. It's marching towards the four men. At the end, and it's Hussein. It's cutting between showing him and then the camera pulling towards them, and I really like that. I think you know all the technical stuff's great. I think emotionally the film works for me. I think Hussein looks a little bit like Liam Neeson. Um, yeah, yeah, no, he knows what he's doing. He he definitely uh, you know gives himself the role, and that that's not a bad thing because I mean he's got the look. He does have the look, and I think he just I think he he knows how to act without overdoing it, and. Um, some people, they would underwrite the character and the person playing them as flat, so they would come off as boring or unengaging, but I feel like he's very engaging, and there's kind of a brutal kind of Shakespearean tragedy that I really like that I think he was going for. I think he brings a serious-minded kind of artistic French sensibility to the genre that I really, really dug, so those are all my yeah, notes yeah. in the interest of keeping it tight. Nice. I'm glad you like it quite a bit. Quite a bit. I'm, uh, I didn't know where you'd stand on it, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a yeah. feeling you liked some of the elements of it and some of the elements that you did like. I had a hunch. Nice. Um, I enjoyed it as well. I like the uh, the uh, black and white opening. Uh, it is obviously a pretty cool uh, spaghetti type opening. Gets going. Oh man, yeah. So it doesn't play around. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it works. It works for me. Uh, like I said, Hossein, he's fine. He doesn't he doesn't come into the movie for a little bit. He he waits to make his entrance, and uh, when he does, he. He does it well. There's a great shot of him in the saloon uh, between the three the two, the three characters. There's two guys, and uh, he always likes to go for the black glove, which is nice. The, oh yeah, the black glove. You know, shit's about to go down. He's one of those. Uh, he's one of those tough guys. Good you time. know, with put the black glove on the cigarillo in the mouth. Uh, I don't know about wetting the tip before uh, lighting it. Seems like you'd wet the tip to put in your mouth, not the wet the tip that you light. But I don't know. That's neither here nor there. I don't know enough about ancient tobacco technology. Or wetting the tip. <laughs> well, I know I know a thing or two about wetting a tip. But mostly that involves, you know, silver and gold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just a tip, Tom, I promise. <laughs> uh, but he gives himself some good moments in this. And uh, it, like I said, the Western, for me, it, it ticks all the boxes. It hits all the things I like about spaghetti Westerns. But for some reason, uh, and I do like it, but for some reason, the the lack of the, the the heavy that I wanted or even some elements of the gang don't work for me as much. Some of the elements, even though the gang looks great, there's never really that feeling that anybody's comparable to Hossein in some way. Uh, there's some ugly moments in it. I do like that. It, it does get ugly in moments. And uh, like you said, the dinner scene, uh, you know, people are throwing down, man. They talk about the... Talk about food at the dinner. You know, talk about throwing down some food and the paranoia at the dinner table is out of control. Oh yeah, it, it's pretty great the way that all works, and everybody's suitably grimy and dirty, and they look nice. I mean, it, as far as this genre is concerned, that's what you want. You want people to be filthy, and uh, you know, not so much in spirit, but that that works too. But I mean, you definitely want them to look like they work on a ranch, and uh, the way they do. And I think the you know the influence of Leone is definitely felt in like uh, you know the lack of dialogue in the movie which is a nice touch. Uh, they don't use as much. I mean, it's pure filmmaking in a lot of ways, a lot of visuals. A lot mm -hmm. of stuff is said without being said, which oh, yeah. uh, is nice, like you were talking about with the, the, the teardrop, and there's, there's a few other moments like that where there, there's a great scene. 
and I think it's the same scene you're talking about where one character's walking away and looking back at another character and then that, that, that kind of goes on for a while. Um, again, the, the back end of the film is strong. Uh, I think there's some, there's a few moments, not a few moments, but there's a, a chunk of it um, with some of the heavies and stuff and some uh, some elements I don't want to get into because, you know, like I said, it is a kidnap plot. Reveal. There's some, yeah, there's some vengeance and things. Some of that stuff might not work for some folks. It doesn't always work for me. But then again, it might work completely for other folks. But I think that the the main story, the main thrust of the story is pretty strong. And Hossein had a pretty good idea of what he was doing uh, making this film. He's not the first person you would think of as a spaghetti western lead, I don't think. But he looks, yeah, he does look the part. He does look the part. Yeah, and he does a very good job uh, being this uh, spaghetti western kind of pivotal spaghetti western type character i mean it's very it's obvious reluctant that, hero yeah it's obvious he's very influenced by leone uh because it is very much that kind of uh the hero that doesn't really say a lot and uh you know doesn't have a very good sense of humor which another thing you know we were talking about another scene but he doesn't <laughs> you know in his defense it's, <laughs> it's not so funny um <laughs> maybe <Yeah. laughs> that jackass moment uh, <laughs> but uh you know the, the ending of the film does make it stand out uh, again it's it's, it's kind of like uh it's not like the great silence that's a different type of ending but in some ways similar uh and you know you, you get what you get out of it but i think that again i think some folks are going to get more out of it than others i'd be curious what your score is um, because even though it sounds like I don't like it, I do not, not like it as much. I do like it quite a bit. I just, you know, I love this genre so much that, you know, my bar is set kind of high. Oh, yeah. So, you know, what do you expect? So let's see what you got. I don't really have any more notes. I should say, though, I, I, when I first started watching this, I thought, man, that, that, this looks kind of rough. But I think, in retrospect, I think the intro is supposed to look like that. Yeah, because I think the film looks pretty good. Um, I watched half of it on Blu-ray and half of it on DVD. No, it looks real good. And I think it, all things considered, yeah, it looks quite good. I mean, it is the source material has to be factored in. Sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, it's real good. I mean, you know, quite a few more. And the and the, the we should say that the the town, the the, the dilapidated town. I love I wrote, the, I yeah. love the town. Yeah, it looked great. I think he hits everything without it seeming obvious. Like he's he's homaging it, um, and it's sort of reverential, but. It's his own thing, his own variation or riff on it, which I quite like. Yeah, it's pretty um, late cycle, you know, Spaghetti yeah. Western, too. 69 is pretty late. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, make or break. I could go with the dinner scene. You know, it just, it's really fantastic. But even though it's kind of a throwaway scene, it's more for stylistic and technique. It works, you know. But um, I'm going to go with the, the really the scene that really walloped me and emotionally impacted me more than I, most scenes I've seen in Spaghetti Western. The scene at the end. Um, with uh <laughs> without uh, giving too much away yeah with uh, <laughs> um, you know i don't want to say too much there's a single tear and the realization and that scene the intercutting between the two characters and man that scene gets me and uh i'm i want to go with hussein i initially said the mood but i think hussein is responsible for the mood hussein directs and stars in it he gets fantastic performance and knows how to use mercier's eyes very effectively and he sets a very kind of grim and melancholic feel that uh, it just works wonderfully for me. My score is an eight out of ten. Um, nice. I really, I really love this. I would say for me, this is like a top ten or fifteen spaghetti. Sweet. I really, really loved it. Um, 
yeah, I'm glad we saw it. Nice, nice. I'm glad I saw it and we covered it. Nice. Uh, okay, my make a break. I could go with the dinner scene as well, but knowing that Leone did it now in retrospect, it doesn't seem very fair to Robert Hussein, right? So I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, I'll go with the moments you got. I, I go with the stuff you go with. I mean, the, that scene, there's a scene between a couple characters. I don't want to get into it, but you know, again, <laughs> it's, it's a weird, it's a weird make or break. I can't really talk about it because it's uh, pivotal. Uh, and uh, if you've it's a seen the scene, if you've yeah. seen the film, you know the scene. <laughs> yeah. You know what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So in other words, go watch the movie. Go yes. buy it from Arrow. Uh, my MVT is Hussein, obviously, uh, director, star, well done. Uh, very solid, uh, like I said, and very competent. Uh, didn't like it quite as much as you did, but still like it quite a bit. It's a 7 out of 10 for me. Nice. Um, it is very solid, and it's easily one of the ones that should be mentioned when people talk about them that haven't been seen uh, as often as others. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the reasons why this one isn't seen as much as others is because, because it doesn't star you know, Franco Nero or or um, Clint Eastwood or Charles Bronson or... It's harder know. to find. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it's it's kind of a, you know, there's some Westerns out there, some of the spaghetti Westerns out there that, you know, it doesn't have Gemma in it, doesn't have people like that in it. So, you know, might be overlooked for that reason. Okay, we're going to take a short break and kind of crank through uh, another review before uh, more children wake up. <laughs> Yes. All right, uh, we'll be back with our review of Luigi Cozzi's Contamination right after this. A one, a two, a one, Tom waits here. If you want to hear a really professionally recorded podcast promo, then I'd suggest you go elsewhere. But if you want to listen to a podcast where there's a whole lot of interesting talk about favorite and great albums and what makes the songwriting so fantastic, then I'd suggest you listen to Love That Album, hosted by Mars. Now, if only he'd talk about one of my records. Love That Album podcast, as endorsed by one out of five Tom Waits impersonators. You can get the podcast from iTunes, searching for Love That Album, or you can get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Listen to this podcast, except no imitations. Contamination, if it starred Daryl Hall and John Oates, 
as the be amazing. <laughs> sure would. <laughs> Uh, that song has nothing to do with the movie, but I thought, you know, I like that song. I'm going to play it on the show. That's a great one. That's a good song. Yeah, I remember the video for that being kind of controversial at the time, right? I don't remember seeing it, actually. Oh, infidelity, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, nasty. Not as controversial as Jingle Bell Rock, though. We all know that's a controversy. <laughs> Daryl Hall's, uh, our John Oates' uh, fancy sweater. So controversial. That's right, man. All right, so contamination. I'm caught with my family man pants down because I don't have the the uh plots in a, okay cool go for it a former astronaut helps a government agent and a police detective track the source <laughs> of mysterious alien blood spores yeah. filled with lethal flesh dissolving acid to a south american coffee plantation controlled by alien pod clones <laughs> so such a bizarre idea <laughs> such a bizarre idea but so much uh, a product of its time Right, I mean, uh, absolutely, and the films that preceded it, yes, and the country that produced it, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's all those things, right? Yes, uh, stars uh, got a great uh, character uh, actor named Siegfried Rauch, uh, <laughs> one of the actors in this. What a great name that is, Siegfried Rauch. Yeah, uh, I think that's how you say his last name. He's still around, still working. Oh yeah, Siegfried Rauch, Siegfried Rauch. Where's uh, <laughs> your papers? Uh, <laughs> So this film stars Ian McCullough, who uh, oddly will be on the show next week as well. That's right. <laughs> In a weird sense of uh, strange serendipity, again, uh, some actors hardly ever on our show, and then a certain actor like Ian McCullough gets back to back. <laughs> that was like we had that run of... Um... <laughs> What, Ugo oh, Bologna? You, Ugo Bologna films. <laughs> there is a Ugo in this, I believe. No, yeah. no, maybe there's not. I don't know. I don't see it now. But I think there was a Ugo in the last film. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, anyway. Um, oh, no, there's a producer, uh, one of the producers, Ugo Valente. So there we go. There, there is go, an Ugo. Man. Ugo is a very popular name back in the day. Sure was. So Luigi Cozzi. Let's talk about Luigi a little bit. Uh, Luigi, also known as Louis Coates. Uh, that's the American Louis name. Louis Coates. Yeah, Luigi, poor Luigi. I always say poor Luigi because I always felt like he was overshadowed by uh, Dario Argento. Uh, he worked with Dario closely and real good friends good with friends, him. Yeah, yeah and still runs his shop, right? So, oh, okay, I, I forgot that he uh, worked on that Godzilla that got re-released in '77. Oh. Weird. And unfortunately for Luigi, he ended up working on a lot of. Uh, well, I mean, arguably. Uh, C grade. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying this arguably. I'm not. I'm not uh, commenting on what my thoughts on Luigi are, Cozzi are, but uh, kind of C grade type kind of takeoffs. Like this is kind of a riff on uh, Body Snatchers and Alien. Alien, yeah. And uh, Star Crash was obviously a riff on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hercules was a riff on, uh, I guess, Conan at the time. Conan, yeah. And of course, he did Hercules too. Uh, those kind of. I don't know if they bombed, but they definitely didn't do his career any good. I know he worked on Sinbad with Ferrigno later. Um, but really, that was kind of the golden era for him. It was between like 78 and 83. Mostly what he's known for. Um, now he did some writing and some work like that. He Mostly Italian films. Uh, he wrote Devilfish. Uh <laughs> Which is kind of infamously bad. With Demon Six, yikes! I've never seen Demon Six. I've never seen four and five. <laughs> so or five. I don't know, even know. I don't even know what those are. Ooh, the, even the still image from oh, the Black Cat. It looks uh, ooh, it looks bad. Ouch. Anyway, but that's that's the thing about Luigi's career. It kind of reminds me. He's kind of like a less prolific 
in some ways, uh, what's the name of the guy that did Troll 2? What's the name of that guy's name? What's that guy? Oh, I can't remember his gosh. name. Now, yeah, it escapes me right now, yeah. unfortunately. But, you know, he kind of, and he's a better director than the material he was kind of given. Um, I think, though, that his run, his Star Crash Contamination Hercules run, those three right there, it's, you know, it's a pretty competent B-movie run. It's not, yeah. it's not bad. Uh, it is laughable at moments. Hercules may be more so for the dubbing of Lou Ferrigno than anything. And the bear. Yeah, you have some pretty ridiculous moments, yeah. That that, that Sammy uh, youth moment with a wrestling bear, right? Yeah, man. My brother, it's weird. My brother brought that up to me the other day. He goes, you know, he goes, maybe I'm crazy, but do you remember going to a lumberyard and watching a guy wrestle a bear when we were kids? I was like, oh, yeah. I mentioned that before. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, he's you like, did. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm three years younger, so I didn't know if I remembered it correctly. I'm like, no, you remembered it correctly. I, I remembered vividly. There was red, white, and blue uh, ropes. The bear had a muzzle on, which was totally unfair for the bear. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. And there was a guy in there who had a lot of hair on his body. Claudio Fergasso, speaking of hair on the yeah, body. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> hair on the body and not on the head. Yes. Um, so this one stars, like I said, Ian McCullough. Um rather infamously known for zombie films. Uh, pivotal, obviously zombie itself, the Fulci movie. Um, and another zombie film, which weirdly we'll be talking about next week, uh, a zombie Holocaust or Dr. Butcher, MD, whatever you want to call it. Um, but Ian McCullough is uh, you know, a competent English actor, uh, maybe a, a hair more charismatic than David Warbeck. Uh, I would say so, yes. Yeah, but only a hair. I'm not going to give him total credit. He's not super charismatic. So. No. <laughs> no, but he he's fine. He's fine, yeah. and he works for, especially for the zombie films. He works fine for that genre, in particular. He does. Uh, but he's good in this. You know, he's good. He, it's, it, this is a fun little movie, and uh, this we I'm gonna be forthright in saying I enjoy this movie. I know you do as well. Yeah, I am perfectly and totally fine with people who would call this movie garbage because i think that it is a bit of a mess and it is in at moments both cheap and ridiculous yeah i think i don't know i think it's it's relatively competent see the problem with kotsi was he made films competent enough that they weren't like bonkers insane yeah but he didn't make them bonkers insane enough that you could forgo some of the dry spells that carried on through some of his films so he was kind of a filmmaker caught between uh, competence and incompetence yeah. in, a, in a hard way. Yeah, and lack of budget. Incompetence yeah. can be um, wonderfully entertaining in terms of auteur, <laughs> you know, kind of work. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it can be, right? It can be, it can be fun. And, but this one, you know, I can see people's argument. My, my, yeah. my yeah. love for this film kind of goes with what Italian cinema is. A goal. This embodies that so much yeah this this is a riff on alien and like said body snatchers to a lesser degree but crazies i feel like a little bit the whole chernobyl three mile island stuff yeah yeah it, it's kind of it's one of the, it's a mismatch you know, of all these and, yeah of all these things that the italians are so good at doing they just say hey what, what's what's relevant at the moment what's the big hit film and uh is goblin available <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah i know when kutsi was trying to sell the film he'd said i'm going to make alien with more gore on a fraction of the budget and the yeah. producers were like sold yeah and literally that's basically that's a better plot synopsis than the actual plot synopsis <laughs> yeah it's like alien it is alien and body snatcher that's the, really yeah. the two big riffs i feel like yeah it really is working and, and it's working the main 
thing people remember from Alien, which is the chestburster scene. It's yeah. working that to an to a degree that needs to be seen to be believed. I mean, it is. There's at least maybe what maybe ten chest bursting scenes in this film. Maybe they go for the money shot and uh, <laughs> slow mo too. Amazing. The slow mo, which really and it's funny because I remember reading this. I thought it, and then I read it in the book. It really feels like Castellari, and Castellari, of course, feels like Peckinpah the way she shoots his Vance in slow mo. Yep. And even in the book, Kotsi says, "I was trying to shoot it like uh, <laughs> like Peckinpah violence." <laughs> well, and it works. I mean, because it's, it's it very slow mo violence and stuff, and. It's never really explained. The aliens get in your blood and uh, cause you to kind of blow up, but it's never really quite explained how or why. Not 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 in my recollection, nor if it's contagious. I guess it is. I never really understand how they get out of the egg. Yeah, the science is very ropey. You kind of have to be willing to go with it. If, there, if you're kind of one of these people that likes a lot of Hollywood films and you watch this, you're going to think this is terrible because it makes no sense. But, I mean, if you are a veteran of watching Italian genre films, I think you can kind of you're willing to forgo any yeah. logic and, and sort of connective tissue to say this is why this is happening. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, exactly. you got to kind of go with it yeah. if you're going to watch an Italian <laughs> genre film. Um, I never really realized, though, watching it this time, it's weird. I never really realized that uh, you know there's so much of the plot is explained in dialogue in the film. Oh, I mean, God, yeah, they, yeah, but that's the classic <laughs> Italian thing. Yeah, the they, scientist explains it all. <laughs> they do. Oh, uh it, it should be said. I, I'm I'm really impressed. Arrow released this. It's a great package. It's got a nice green Beautiful. foil. Beautiful slipcase. It's yeah. It's Beautiful gorgeous packaging. It's got a lot of special features. Big uh, time, man. It's well loaded, and uh, you know I, I, we're living in an era where contamination, a film that you could hardly find on VHS back in the day, is on Blu-ray. It's an, insane. It's just you know, and, and insane in a great way, like Luigi Cozzi's films. Uh, like I said, good old fashioned gore porn. It's almost like a haunted house, especially the opening. The opening's very. Uh, the, I think it opens shit. really strong. To be honest with you, yeah, I love the opening scene quite a bit. It's yeah, one of the things I remember strong. the most. Rewatching it this time, I didn't remember how much time they spent in the underground lair. Uh, that you know they did. Uh, of course, this time you know when they did all the explanations and all the science and stuff, and the the cop that's gruff but likes to wear doesn't like to wear jumpsuits, but you know, hey, I like that cop. Yeah, <laughs> and he's good. He's good. A perpetual five o'clock shadow. Yeah. I love that uh, the scientist, I mean, she's got the greatest intuition in the world. She just immediately says, the sewers, and the plot goes forward, you know. Just, she, of course, yeah. That's Canadian actress um, Marlowe. Um, uh, Louise. Louise Marlowe. And what was funny was, initially, Kutsi wanted Carolyn Monroe, and one of the producers had seen Marlowe in a film at Cannes, like a from a very well-regarded filmmaker. And he said, no, you got you to gotta cast her. And, you know, Kutsi was a bit disappointed. But, you know, it would have been a bit goofier with Monroe. I don't know that, you know, I have to be honest. I'm going to catch some heat. I've, I'm very indifferent on Monroe. I feel like she looks fine enough. But I don't think she really adds much to films. Um, oh, I think than, she, no, I think she looks better than she is. And Monroe was in Star Crash, right? So. Yeah, she was. Yeah, infamously when the... Uh, the suit, the, the the bathing suit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, she looks great. She's always looked great, but she not. Uh, I'm not. I really... don't like her the way I like a Barbara Boucher or no. a Fennec. Do you no, know she, what I mean? No, yeah, I, I totally agree. But you know, I think she's got a you know a, a great face, and you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, I don't know what I'm trying great to say little, here. Maybe a lot know, of things. But... Yeah, yeah. 
just just not really my taste so much in acting, right? So yeah, shouldn't really work from that way. But, but Marino Masse, I think Masse, I think is how you say his last yeah, name. The he's cop. Great. He's a yeah. You would think you know from seeing this film, man, he's starting a lot of trash, but he actually starting some really big films. I mean, he's yeah, he's he not starred, but he's in a lot of big films. The Leopard, yeah, which is Visconti, and then uh, oh yeah, he's in Godfather Three, some a few other things. Uh, he's got a very uh, noticeable kind of a. I'm trying to think of who he reminds me of. He reminds me of an American character actor, but I can't think off the top. Of uh, maybe a little bit um, Greek, uh, independent Cassavetes, maybe. Oh yeah, he definitely got a Cassavetes look to him. Yeah, definitely has that. Uh, there's a great explanation uh, where uh, McCullough kind of goes back in time, and they they show what has to be. I mean, if a cave looks like that, you don't go in it. You don't. And <laughs> I have to say, am I the only one that thought when they would show, like they would pull back and show the the cave, like I guess it had to be miniature work. It literally looked like they had used peas, like <laughs> dinner table peas, as the pods. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I was convinced they had used peas yeah. or like a like a, a kitchen sink disposal pods or something. You know, <laughs> like those Man, little, those it's unbelievable beads. how much yeah. it looks like frozen peas. It might be might be those anal beads again coming back Ooh, from last I, week. It's that lawnmower pull. Ring, 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 ring. Yeah, uh, great dialogue in here too. Where McCullough says, "Strange things happened at the Martian pole." I'm sitting there thinking, "What pole? Which which the pole?" Martian pole. <laughs> Yeah. I love it. I love Italian genre movie science, though. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's 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 the best. It really is because it is. they can't be bothered with minor details yeah. or major details. Well, they can't be bothered with any actual logic either. I mean, just no. you know, they just want to romp, and that's fine. You know, this this is kind of ties in with the last review, like different kind of film. This is you you know the beast you're in with here, and yeah, I mean, there's know, a they're going maybe one of the yeah, maybe one of the best things about this movie is how kind of silly all the dialogue is. And, and it how, knows what it is. And it's trying to be those things and give you the hits of those films without the filler. Yeah. On a much lower budget. And I'm perfectly good with that. Yeah. Because, I mean, the movie does move slow in spots. You know, it should be warned. Yeah, For those who yeah. haven't seen Contamination, it's, it's not a rip-roaring alien <laughs> ripoff. I mean, it's... It's not a Matei film. <laughs> no. No. There, there is some good performances, but nobody's, you know, Red Brown era no. type acting or even I'm george really eastman uh maybe the most you know kind of crazy acting probably comes from louise Mar- marluk who has a, kind of a she has some great moments um she's in maybe arguably one of the longest locked in the bathroom scenes ever filmed i would say she is yeah <laughs> we could say in cinema history <laughs> yeah <laughs> in <of> cinema our- <laughs> history indeed <laughs> but the actors what I, what i like about this movie the most it is it is incompetent, but the actors sell the incompetence so seriously. Yeah, that I have a general affection for contamination that you know outweighs the actual quality of the movie. Absolutely, yeah, sure. Because I mean, this is this is B grade movie. And, uh, arguably, for some, this is going to be Z grade, yeah. uh, and maybe even maybe C grade, but it's certainly B grade. And you'll get what you want out of it. If there's no way this is an A-list movie of any sort. <laughs> no, it was made for a market cheaply, and that's fine, you know. And, it, and that's what I'm saying. It's, it's perfectly competent in that regard. It's got the violence. It's got the great, uh, it's got the Brand X coffee. It's got the, uh, it's got a great, like I said, haunted kind of ship moment. That, that stuff at the beginning is as good as anything Coates ever really did. really good stuff, yeah. yeah. That's as good as anything he ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, Arguably, it might be the greatest thing. That section might be the greatest thing Coatsy's ever done. <laughs> Arguably, yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> um, 
he's still working. I mean, he's coming back and he's he's making a new film, uh, Blood on Melee's Moon. Melee's George Melee. Mele, Mele, Mele. Oh yeah, yeah. Who made? Didn't he make a journey to, or a trip to the moon. voyage to the moon or yeah. whatever it was? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's he's coming back. He's working again. But you know, you can meet Coetzee if you go to Italy. He works over there in yeah, the, the uh, Deep Red Store. Yeah, the Deep Red Store, the Profondo Russo Store. And I've always thought if I go to Italy, I gotta I gotta go by there. I gotta go by yeah, there and totally, shake hands man. with Coetzee. You know, totally. gotta say hello. He's like, eh, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he's one of these guys, these Italian guys who uh, looks for the answer by doing the, eh, you know, <laughs> yeah. have you ever noticed that with some of those Italian directors, yeah, man? They, yeah. they just, they spend a lot of time going, eh. <laughs> it's, it's basically our, um, right. You know? Yes. Yes, it is. Totally. Um, but like his films, he stretches it out like, yeah. you know. Oh yeah. He works it in there. Um, yeah, man, I think this is uh, this movie looks good too. It should be said. It looks really good. I've only I mean, ever the seen the packaging it. Packaging is good. Yeah. Special features are tremendous. But the, the the restoration, it looks excellent. Yeah, we should uh, go over a few things here. The bonus materials, we always try to go over that and stuff. You got a 2014 Q&A with Coetzee and McCulloch. McCulloch's aged pretty well. It should be said. He already he looked old in the early '80s. He's still kicking. It looks pretty good. It should be said. Uh, yeah. Uh, Coachy, there's a dark archive documentary with him where he's typing on a computer. Uh, typewriter is pretty awesome. Yes, uh, some good stuff like that. I mean, the uh, Q and A I think is almost an hour long, so it kind of takes the place of a commentary track, which I think and there fine. is a commentary track. As is well. there a commentary? Uh, yeah, with Chris Alexander of Fangoria. Oh, that's right, Chris Alexander's commentary. Yeah, he's there, he's a big is fan. Pack jam packed. Like there's probably like three hours in features plus a commentary track plus a slip cover plus a booklet. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. I mean, I love the it's, coloring. The dark green and the bl- dark blue—it's really nice. In fact, you get a twenty-three minute one, forty-two minutes, twelve minutes, forty-three minutes, forty-three minutes, four minutes. I mean, you get a lot—you know—a lot of bang for your buck here. A lot of treatment for contamination that I never thought I'd ever see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is this is one of my favorite things when genre labels do this kind of thing. It's when I'm oh, at my most happy because agreed. It's you know most films are going to get released like Ghost House and Witchery, which we did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> That that's fine. It's great that stuff's out, but a lot of people aren't going to spend a lot of money on the bonus features of, of Witchery or or uh, Ghost House for that matter. Other than us, and yeah, people aren't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Other than us, who would go above and beyond to do Final Score Witchery. and things like that. But you know, I mean, you're not going to get this kind of criterion treatment for something like Contamination. I never thought I'd see that. I never thought I'd no. see. It. I thought you'd see if anything at Coetzee's films. I thought you'd see a a big bonus laden release done it would be uh star crash and hercules yeah. maybe but star crash i thought you know that's probably what he's most known for because it was riffing yeah. on star wars obviously so mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know which one made the most money for him but whatever uh yeah i don't have a whole lot more to add i mean i think this film is is good b-movie fun uh very silly uh some of the dialogue is is some of the better Italian dialogue in any movie of its period. It's it's really great. I I, I don't have other than the Martian Pole quote. I don't have a whole lot of quotes here, but Martian Pole. <laughs> there's there's a lot of great moments. Uh, oh, and the Colonel says, "Listen, uh, yeah, I think she says if I have to die on the rest of the world, I want to have a proper dress on and clean underwear." Yeah, which is great. <laughs> she doesn't want to break. Doesn't want to worry about that skid mark conundrum. <laughs> yeah, she also has a great moment. Help! Let me out! There's an egg. Yeah, I know there's an egg. <laughs> it's a way so to paint a picture for someone on the other side of the door. <laughs> oh, nice the harps. It's harps, nice uh, when she talks about uh, what's his name being drunk all the time. It's like if you <laughs> you couldn't get it up even if you used a crane. 
Yes. It's this great Italian, like misogynistic and just bad dialogue. It's it's amazing. It's really amazing. So uh, that's all my notes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I like the effects in this because we're really pinched for time. I really like the effects. I think they're gloopy. Um, it feels again a bit H.G. Lewis. They feel very post Dawn of the Dead. Um, they work quite post Thing, even though <laughs> yeah. this is eighty. So I guess it's not post Thing, but kind of in that realm. I think they knew where they, you know, they got the money out of their chest bursting, and it works quite well. I think the eggs look relatively decent. You know, kind of translucent, pulsating. Um, you know, it's uh, it works quite well. Uh, squib budget's good, um, and I think the chest busters. You know, it really ups the the ante for our heroes because you're going to die a horrible death if you you get uh, infected by one of these. I mean, ironically, actually, it was Sergio Leone who pushed for Marlowe. So nice. Sergio Leone had a hand in two films this year, this week. Yeah, he's kind of kind of the godfather of Italian cinema in a lot of ways, sure which is, is weird because you know Italy. I mean, they have a long-standing history of Italian geniuses and behind the camera, but it's weird that Leone had after, after he hit. It seems like he had so much influence on everything. Big time, big time. Um, I think you know it's sad that in this day and age, Italians couldn't replicate what they were doing then because nowadays it's all big budget CGI superhero films. Yeah. You know, this was a time when Hollywood's scope and scale was smaller, so it allowed foreign countries to mimic that with some degree of success. Um, I'd said to you off the air because I really got to run here. Louise Marlowe looked like my grandmother, which was kind of bizarre. I was praying she didn't get a nude scene. Thankfully, she didn't. <laughs> um, um, I think the matte paintings work well. Uh, McCulloch really decks Marlowe in this. Oh yeah, he does. It's like man, it's a sign of the time. Um, <laughs> love. I love the Goblin score. It's kind of very futuristic and kind of keyboardy, and it works I, quite well. Yeah, I like it. I don't love it. It's 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 a little. For me, cheesy. It's a little goofy. It is a little bit goofy, absolutely. Yeah. But then again, I think the film's a little bit goofy. So I'm, I always I'm think okay of, I'll always think of Kelly when I think about contamination. Now, yeah, no, yeah, for that's sure. a that's an inside thing. But uh, Kelly shared with us his thoughts on the contamination score. Yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like uh, the. I know in the sorry, I didn't. I wouldn't have put two and two together with this, but I know Courtney had said that. One of the producers was a big Bond guy, so he got McCulloch, and he was trying to do it for this Bond vibe with the globe trotting and the corruption in South America and stuff. And I think he kind of nails that, which is funny when you know it. I don't think you'd pick up on it otherwise. And again, great Italian genre—not great, but you know, fun Italian genre film ending on a freeze frame. So let's get into make or breaks here. Yeah, I agree with you. Also, that uh, you would not get the Bond thing unless you knew somebody said that. But once you know it, it's like, oh, I could see them going for that. Yep. It makes it kind of fun. But Once you know it, that's right. Yeah. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's. All right. Uh, make a break. I'm going to go with the ship scene. It's pretty great, man. It's a great little opening. Very strong horror moments. Really good. My MBT for this movie, going to go with the special effects. I really like special effects in this. Even the ridiculous Cyclops toward the back end. Uh, with uh, Oh, yeah. Which they had some problems with. But I think it works well enough. I mean, yeah, I like it. It's I much like maligned. It. I like it. Yeah. Kind of gross and gloopy. Yeah. My score for the film. Maybe not indicative of how much I like the film, but it's a 6.75. I think it's perfectly competent, well-made, and uh, yeah, really, nice. definitely worth a purchase. So yeah, Nice. Very nice. I'm going to go, I'm pretty much almost on point with you. Make or break is that opening scene. It does, it's sort of the high watermark as far as atmosphere and mood and everything for the film. MVT is the gore, I think the gore, the effects in general, not the gore, but the effects. 
Now, my score is slightly lower, but also not indicative of how I feel about the film. I think the film's a 6.5. It's not bonkers enough to get a higher score, but it is. I think it's relatively competently made. Um, I, I like it. It's fun. You could do a lot worse. Considering what Kutsi was going for and the, the investors were going for, I think it nails it perfectly. So Yeah, yeah, I think it does. That well. is. Yeah, the that's the big show. That's it. <laughs> All, All right. right. Yeah. Tell people what we're uh, doing next week. Next week, we are coming back and we're staying in Italy. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not. What a surprise. The GGDMC and Italian genre films. Yeah. Uh, but next week, we're back with Diabolic DVD uh, and we are doing uh, 88 films release of uh, Zombie Holocaust. Also, like I said, known as uh, Dr. Butcher MD. A film I haven't seen in ages. I've only seen one time. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what we'll see how that the second viewing goes. First viewing didn't go so great, but we'll see. Um, and uh, Tonino Valeri's uh, "Reason to Live, A Reason to Die." So, AKA Massacre at Fort Holman. Yeah, that's uh, Coburn, Savalas, and Bud Spencer. So Bud Spencer returning to the show. Yeah, finally. I think this is only the second time he's been on. Yeah, I think so. It's crazy. It's episode one. <laughs> So absolutely crazy. So that is the show next week. We want to thank uh, Arrow uh, Film and Video for uh, sending us uh, preview copies of the and the actual copies of the actual films uh, this week. Uh, another great show, another great product. Please support them as much as possible. Head over to Diabolic yeah, DVD and pick them up. Yeah, and they got a lot of good stuff coming out. Uh, I hate to sound so rushed, but that is the big show. And with that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.